Power Podcast this week. We slide into Tim Mentions. Mentions. He is, of course, the genius behind the music of Groundhog Day, the musical, and Roald Dahl's Matilda, the musical. Plus, we talk to Luca Guadagnino, director of Bones and All, but maybe most importantly, Call Me By Your Name. Call Me, Call Me, Call Me By Your Name. Oh, yeah. All that and more on the movie podcast that just had a lovely encounter in an elevator with Dame Emma Thompson. Wow. Yeah. True story, folks. True story. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, we're back in the studio because the Lurgy has departed, at least for... for (coughs) Sorry. Oh, was that blood? (laughs) I don't think it's contagious. (laughs) There's something moving in your stomach, Chris. Oh, Oh, God. Oh, my God. (laughs) Take two two rennies. You'll be right as rain in the morning. Totally fine. Would that have killed Cain? Yes. In, yeah. in all likelihood, yes. You think? Being without your, you know, viscera and I mean, intestines and... All that little alien thing does is just punch through his ribcage and his chest. I'm saying you could probably, if you got him to the ER, he'd be okay. No. That's a lovely mm. thought, Chris. Good no, luck with that. I don't think some Rennies would have done it. The thing had right. acid for blood. You know, there might have been some side effects, I'm just saying. Although Rennies might have helped with that. Yeah. That is true. Everybody hurts. Other antacids are available. <laughs> tum, 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 tum. Gaviscon. Gaviscon. Anyway, uh, welcome to the Empire Podcast. Uh, this week we're joined by three colleagues of such lethal cunning. You've heard two of them already because they can't shut the fuck up uh, without being <laughs> Oh, introduced. I'm sorry. You lost your voice and still came on the podcast. So I, She fairness, makes a compelling I, point. I, did I? Did I? Did I? I think Siri overtook the podcast last week. Uh-huh. Anyway, uh, Helen O'Hara is here, our great, um, our great big geek queen. I forgot. Our great big geek queen. <laughs> wow. I'm enjoying this. Oh, dear. Hang on a second. I'm just going to Google how to host a podcast. <laughs> Google, who is Helen? I'll be, I'll be with you in two seconds. What is life? What, what, for you, what is cinema? Uh, oh, apparently just bumble around like an idiot for an hour. That's that's it. Okay, sorted. Uh, we're also joined by our great big fucking nerd, James Dyer. How are you? I am good, Christopher. <laughs> have you inhaled enough? I have. I'm a bit like, you know, um, Devastator in the Transformers films. You know, he sucks them all into his maw with all of the spinning machinery in it. That's, that's... Which one's Devastator? Which, which Transformer? The, he's the one, and I think I recall this right, he's the one in the second one with the giant swinging Transformer balls. Remember this? Yes, he has, he, Yeah, that's oh, yeah. it. He has great big robot testicles, but he also <laughs> sucks things into his maw. So he has great big testicles yeah. and does a lot of sucking. That's right, yeah. All right, well, listen, let's move swiftly on to introduce our fourth chair this week, who is a newcomer to the Empire podcast. Uh, we, we like to do this every now and again, have someone new in the fourth chair, the revolving fourth chair. And we're going to have a bit of a rite of passage here. It is Kalechi Ihenulo. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? Well, first of all, hello there. Hello. I got, I got to do, do my Star Wars rep up in here. <laughs> this is insane. Like, this is my first time doing this and <laughs> being amongst you guys. You know, I'm right now feeling like Kate Hudson from Glass Onion, basically shouting out, what is reality? What's, what is going on? <laughs> what is reality? Um, well, you find yourself stuck in a con- sort of enclosed space with a load of shitheads, essentially, <laughs> what you're saying. It's like yeah. when you get out after this, you go, he, he, he Googled how to host a podcast five minutes in. Yeah. So it wasn't what I was expecting. It's not what I expecting, but I'm here for the ride, guys. You're here for the ride. I'm here for uh, the ride. All right. Well, listen, um... I've mentioned Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, the second Transformers movie. Michael Bay, director, 
2000 and whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to say 2009. I'm going to say 2009. We're a very detail-oriented podcast. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Close brackets. Can you name the next three Transformers movies <laughs> that Michael Bay directed? Even Michael Bay couldn't do uh, that. Can Dark any of, the of you? Dark of the Moon. Yeah, Dark, Dark of the Moon. moon. Okay. Is it the, is it the first night or something no, like that's that? that's number five. Ah, oh, damn. Yeah. In between of, was, of course... <laughs> The other one, which yeah. come on, come hang on, on, hang on, hang on, hang on. No, I, I, Age of Extinction, I, Age yes. of Extinction. I backed yes. out all of them. They're all nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> they are all nonsense. The first yes. one's good. Well done. The first one's good. You've passed a test. The yeah. Transformers <laughs> movies are all nonsense. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. You, you are now allowed to stay. Shall I tell you about my encounter with Emma Thompson? Yes, please. Yes. Um, you living it up. Well, actually, no. That sounds rude. No, it, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't a, a rude encounter in any way, shape, or form. But she was just. It was the most lovely Emma Thompson. Moment, lovely in an elevator. It was a lovely living in an elevator moment. I wasn't living in an elevator. I was standing outside the, an elevator, having a conversation or with lift, as we call lift. it in this. Country. Lift, <laughs> lift, yes, and it gave me a lift. Good, in Good. many ways. So I was outside, outside the lift at a a top London hotel, mm. uh, having just uh, interviewed Christian Bale. Oh, good for you and. <laughs> I was having a conversation with a PR and we were talking about, you'll never guess, football. And uh, this PR revealed, I've known this guy for years, and he revealed he's an Everton fan, like you, James. Yeah, yes, like me. Oh, yeah. so Come when, on, you blues. So when yes. the lift doors opened, you were covered in blood instead. <laughs> <laughs> and she helped me cover up the crime. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> she said, I'm a dame, I've got privileges, I'm fine. And you're Let confessing this on the podcast. Like, oh, this the, is totally fine. Do, do, yeah. I, do I need to call someone? I don't yeah. know. That's justifiable homicide, <laughs> as I understand it. No, yeah. podcasts are a safe space. It's like attorney-client privilege. Like, nothing yeah. you say in a podcast can be used against you in a court floor. I've, <laughs> I've just Googled it. Finding. Okay. You can confess to a crime on a podcast <laughs> yeah and that's totally okay anyway so we were having this conversation and uh, this PR Aza is his name uh, revealed he's a, a fan of of Everton and I oh, the, the lift doors opened and all I was all I knew was that there was a woman in the lift mm-hmm. there was a woman in the lift that's all I knew and I said well none of us are responsible for the choices we make as children and then the woman in the lift went that's so true that's so true and I got into the lift and in the nanosecond after I stepped into the lift, I was like, fuck, that's Emma Thompson. What am I going to do? Luckily, it was only one floor down. We were chatting. I said, well, we were just chatting and this guy revealed he was a, a fan of the, of the rival team. Mm. And then she said, oh, that's oh, Satan's club. Satan's club. <laughs> but we should know which club. And I, and I went, yeah, it's, it's, it's terrible. You think you know someone? She goes, yes. Uh, for me, it's as if you knew someone for years and then they came out as a Tory. <laughs> and and so we rode down to the to the ground floor just one stop one one floor mm-hmm. we got out and she said have a great day and i said you too and we went our separate wow. ways and that is my emma thompson wow. in the lift. wow wow what a woman national treasure national yeah. treasure and at no point did you know i go you're emma thompson and at no point surprisingly did she go you're chris hewitt what's up with that she was trying to play it cool yeah she, she was, was playing it cool she was probably shaking mm. probably probably yeah, shaking yeah. Yeah. <laughs> i got to hang out with denise goff this week that's amazing who's denise goff <laughs> from andor you muppet <laughs> helen andor denise goff so that's good helen andor denise goff yes, she, she is, is amazing yes she is Dendra in, in andor she's amazing she's I, brilliant Imagine for a second. Pretend for for a second that I I stopped watching Andor after episode three. Okay, okay. You, no, in, in in Chris's defence, let's yeah. make clear he has been meaning to catch up, and life has gotten in the way. Mm-hmm. Life has not found a way. No, life has gotten in the way. Um, and and he knows, I think, on some level, that he is delinquent yes. and and missing out on the best um, show of the year. On the yes. best show of the year. But yeah, so she she emerges. It is. Uh, yeah. It she, really she turns is. Up in, in episode four, and she is 
unbelievable. She's She's been one of the great stage actresses for years. I saw her in Angels in America and she just blew me away there. But mm-hmm. like, um, mm-hmm. and she's always good, but now she is Star Wars. She's yeah. super good. Well. Yes. Yeah, she is. She's one of the most chilling, complicated, interesting mm-hmm. villains of Star Wars. Villains? Question mark. Interesting. And I know it's meant to be good. I, I love Tony Gilroy. He's my boy. Michael Clayton, forever. Denise um, agrees with you. Yeah? yeah. yeah. Okay. So I, I will get around to it, but I am very behind on MasterChef for Professionals. Again, priorities, Chris. Priorities. Yeah. Priority. Well, my, my wife doesn't like Star Wars, so I can't I say mean, but, when she comes I, home, I, I, that's what's a Star Wars. Oh, I've got a question for you. Yeah. So is there MasterChef the Amateurs? Yes. Yeah. That's how it started. That's how it started. Well, and the professionals is these are professional chefs. Yes, yeah. chefing. So you're just watching people chef. do their jobs. That's basically what That's it is. That's right, James. But yes. there's, there's a pleasure in fairness to watching people do things well. Kalechi's getting it right now. She came here to see the best of the best <laughs> doing what they do. And accidentally walked into our studio. Yes, yeah. Kermode and Mayo have long gone. <laughs> so, so this is actually Simon like Mayo's studio, <laughs> to be fair. This is Mayo. You can, yeah. you can, if, you, if you sniff, you can actually smell the tang yeah. of Mayo. It's, it's still in the air. Well, no, I'm hungry. <laughs> Activate beast care mode. Uh, Kalechi, anyway, before we get into this week's question, tell the people at home a little bit about yourself. Starting with your pin number. (laughs) (laughs) The name of your first pet. And and your mother's maiden name. Well, the the most in-depth question right right now I'm getting. So yeah, right off the bat, no pressure at all. Um, So yeah, I've I've led a very journeyed life. I feel, right now I feel like a bit of a hobbit right now. (laughs) Like I'm about to say, I've been on an unexpected journey. Have you ever thrown a ring into a volcano? No, I have not, but it's on, but but at the same time, it's on probably on my my wish list. It's on on my bucket list, like throw stuff in the volcano. How many breakfasts have you had today? I'm on my second breakfast is right Obviously, All right, okay, seven, that's yeah. good. I've had two okay. as well. Yeah. Elevens is yeah. Elevens is another, yeah. And this may be a personal question, but hairy feet? Particularly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't right, have okay. them. I'm, I'm clean shaven. <laughs> All right, okay, <laughs> that's, that's more information that's a, than I care to listen. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> you started this, Chris. <laughs> don't bring that, wow, bring, well, bring that into the earth. Yes, I'm professional. Yeah. Yeah. Professionally clean shaven. Yes, professionally clean shaven. Um, let's back in the room. <laughs> so, yeah, I've, <laughs> I've been um, a film critic, freelancing since, what, 2013 when I just started. Just started. I've been basically a fan of uh, of films like as like anything you know I grew up watching Star Wars and like everything you see sort of on on TV you feel like well you know I can go and recreate that that scene in the in in the in the movie and um you remember that scene in Home Alone with Macaulay Culkin about slide down the stairs with Oni Slade basically I did that as a kid with a big giant uh <laughs> big giant like cardboard box that came from a cash and carry and did that down the stairs and yeah my mom was like halfway between like are you okay and also boy girl what did you do <laughs> like yeah. that type of fight so movie has always been in my blood since then through you know doing different jobs and so forth I was encouraged to, t- to start a blog my first ever piece I ever wrote was about Christopher Nolan's The Prestige my favorite Christopher Nolan film Good uh, yes <laughs> and I just kind of just started writing from there and just kind of just kept on kept on kept it moving kept it um, working and but I never necessarily thought about it as like as almost like a serious hobby I just I'm sorry as a serious profession I just kind of like it was just my side thing and then I think around no it was actually 2018 saw Black Panther and kind of said to myself man representation is really is on game here I felt like I will see myself 
on the, on the screen. And I just said to myself, there's something in what I do, considering that there's no one like me. I, you know, they, I, you know, there's lack of female critics, there's lack of black female critics in the mainstream. I just said to myself, I can probably make this as as a start and 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 really go for it. The journey's been crazy, loads to be things to be proud of, and now I'm, you know, through you know meeting such lovely people like Helen, James, and they're along the way. Ah, uh, Helen, and yeah, hey, hey you, know, you can, nice you can, leave, you can <laughs> leave James off the lovely list. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> but yeah, and then now I'm I'm now I'm here, at Empire, like. Like I said, what is reality? It's crazy. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's so, too yeah. much madness to it's, fit into one. It's too much madness, but yeah, it's yeah. been it's been a journey, and that's and I guess it just shows you that what's possible. You know, if you you know if you put your mind to it, if you stay the course, and just enjoy what you do, and that's that's what I do, and I, I enjoy what I do. That is amazing. Uh, like you, I was inspired at a very young age to recreate Home Alone, but in my <laughs> case, I try to break into Macaulay Culkin's house and kill him. <laughs> They frowned upon that. Yep. That didn't yeah, go down yeah, well. Yeah. You're not a big fan, are you? I'm not a fan. How? I'm not you know, a fan. It's a Christmas classic. It, it, no. Is it though? Please, if you'd like I've to hear more of, of Chris's Home Alone hate, we talked about it last week, last year on Bah Humbug. So. We did, we did. That's fine. I will, will, I will listen to that episode. Question. Shall we have a question? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> sure. This question comes from, and all three of you frowned upon this when I sent it over to you, so this could be a very short section, from Sean Hunter at STH93 on Twitter, in honour of Wakanda Forever, what are the best sequels where the main character from the original film doesn't appear? I was thinking of... Home Dawn Alone of... 3? No. <laughs> no. I, I rebuked that film in the name of Jesus. <laughs> no way. Um, the power of Christ compels you. Yeah. I tried that on Macaulay Culkin. Yeah, it didn't work. It's, that film's not working for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I was thinking um, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. So if you think of the first film, Rise okay, of the Planet of yep. the Rise yep. of the Planet of the Apes with James Franco, which is obviously the build star, and then obviously mm -hmm. it really became Andy Serkis's film, and then you get mm. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes being the, the leading character. It is technically technically I mean, uh, technically Andy? Are we are we given you know Andy Serkis is and everything? He's yeah. in this podcast. But he's he's, he's brilliant. He is brilliant. brilliant. But, yeah, but I I've taken that so you know. he's been playing <laughs> Helen for the last ten minutes. It's seamless. Better than I can. Really. <laughs> <laughs> he really nailed the accent. <laughs> Always in a way that if I've done it, it would have been offensive. <laughs> Uh, that's a that's a good shout. That's a good. Yeah, that's a good. Mm, that's that's a. Mm, that's a, that's that's a. Mm, that's a good shout. It's a shout. It's a shout. What about what about the one that immediately comes to mind for me is too fast. <laughs> oh shut! Come too fast, on, too really? furious. Really? No, 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 no. Tokyo Drift, I'll give you, but I will not give you Too Fast, Too Furious yes. because I would argue that Paul Walker is the main character in the Fast and the Furious. Of course, as we know, the greatest of the entire franchise, and he 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 persists. All the way through. Though technically Vin Diesel is also in Tokyo Drift, so I don't know. Wow, thanks, James. You're welcome. <laughs> in summary, I don't in know. In summary, I don't know. I, I have spoken. I mean, it tends to be a bad sign usually when, you're, when your ma main character isn't back. It tends to go badly wrong. And yeah. that's why they tend to have the main character turn up even if it's in a smaller role. So in a sort mm. of, you know, Independence Day resurgence. Although it didn't help that film. Is he, no. um, is he in, in Independence Day? I guess, I guess oh. you know you lose Will, but like it was a it was an ensemble. Like it wasn't just a Will Smith. You felt like it was a, the first one. I feels know, but like come it on, was. Jeff Goldblum was, was yeah, there. Yeah, I know. know so. But yeah, still. Anyway, it's not a good film. Also, so it's yeah, not the, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the answer regardless. Uh, yeah. yeah, four stars, Empire. Karen. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, I can't even. Now you've broken me. Forced. I I will never get over that. I don't understand it, and I won't. I, I mean, I mean, does it have to be like? 
like, can it be a, a, ma- a major part of an ensemble? Like, would you class Cyclops disappearing from X Men The Last Stand? Would you class that as. No, because he's no, not the main character. He's one of the main characters. No, he isn't. He is. I mean, I, I know it's, it's kind of Wolverine's story, but, you know. Also, still. you know, he gets killed, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, it's not like he's not in it. But he kind of like, he gets killed in a really kind of, is he dead? I'm not really sure. Is he? What happened? Kind of way. Could you, could you go for Hicks and Newt? Yeah, I did could. think about that. I did think about that. That works. They are kind of in Alien 3, a bit. A bit. <laughs> bits right. of, bits, rather, bits, literally bits a bit. Them. Bits of them. Bits of them. Um, I'm going to go back to the question here, folks. Um, the main character. The main mm. character yeah. from the original film doesn't appear. And the main character yeah. is, oh, is Ripley. Ripley. All right. Ripley. Alien Covenant probably counts, though, doesn't it? Because Numi does not make it Numi to Covenant. Pass. Yeah. That's right. Isn't yeah. she briefly... Although, is, but that, that, but well, is it though? Is it David? David, 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 David. David. Oh my God, David. Um, <laughs> I think that it is Elizabeth Shaw is the main character of that Prometheus. Movie, of yeah. Prometheus. Yeah. Yes, I couldn't remember the name. <laughs> <laughs> of that film, you know, the film. Of that film. No, the film. Yeah. 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 This is going well, isn't it? It is. It is yeah. going well. It's we are awash well. with great ideas. Yeah. There are many, many wonderful films. Oh, and you I mean none of them. Police Academy 5. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Assignment Miami Beach, um, I mean, where that, Matt yeah. McCoy takes yeah. over, Not doesn't play the same role, but Steve Gutenberg exits stage left, yeah. pursued by, I don't know, a massive paycheck for other films. <laughs> uh, after Police Academy 4, Citizens on Patrol. Oof. And then Matt McCoy comes in as, not Mahoney, but Mafoni, and he's just not as good. He doesn't, he doesn't have Steve Gutenberg's raw animal charisma. That's true. He did, like, yeah. I he didn't. He really didn't. I used to like those films because I was a very small child, and um, and it it just dropped off a cliff at that. But point. even as a kid, <laughs> even, even as, as a kid, a kid you, yeah. know, you knew that something was wrong. You knew that this is not like that. This is not <laughs> Mahoney. No. I need Mahoney in my police academy movies. Otherwise, no dice. No dice no. whatsoever. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to say. Too Fast, Too Furious. <laughs> oh, God. And Police Academy 5. Hang on, this is the, the, I can't remember what the question was. I've read it three times. The be- Oh, the best sequels. Oh, there are none. <laughs> there are none. Problem solved. I mean, I, mean, I, mean, I guess Black like Panther then. Wakanda Forever. Black like yeah. Panther, Wakanda yeah. Forever. That's a good it's, one. It's, there, are, there are very few where you can honestly say it didn't matter. that the Yeah. And they tend to have to go off in a new direction. I mean, I guess you could argue for Kyle Reese and Terminator 2. But you still have Sarah Connor, so I just don't know. Yeah, Connor. and she yeah. is the main character, yeah. so yeah. Yeah. Hmm. there is no answer to this question. They're all terrible. I mean, there's... Except there's... for Wakanda for... Wakanda. That's I'm true. sure there are That's some. True. I'm sure there are some. It's not terrible. Not... Yeah. There are horror films, obviously, yeah. that sure. certain true. people didn't come back, or if they do come back, you know, I've talked about this in the podcast before, one of my big bugbears is the survivor of the previous film being bumped off very, very quickly in the next film, but that can happen. But, you know, I don't want to keep on saying it, but, you know, the original George Romero, all the dead trilogy, all the dead movies. I think maybe one character crosses over in the later ones. But those are all anthology movies, really. They're all reboot yeah. movies. So yeah. Dawn of the Dead has none of the characters from Night of the Living Dead. For a good reason, everyone dies at night. Um, and then you have, you know, Day of the Dead doesn't have any of the characters from Dawn mm-hmm. of the Dead in it. So maybe those ones. And they yeah. are they are sequels. They are maybe, right. maybe Scream 6 when it comes up. You won't have Sydney. <gasps> oh. I mean, we've got to hope it's good. We have yeah. to hope it. Every yeah, day yeah. is Christmas Eve. Yeah. Every day is Christmas. That's a good one. Yeah. What about Halloween 3? With Doesn't no Laurie. Yeah. 
Halloween 3 doesn't have uh, Laurie or Michael Myers in it, in fairness. That is true, yeah. Well, you like it, I know, because <laughs> you sing the song all the time. Please don't no, sing the song. No, no, you can't. No, Halloween is past. Not, not you can only sing Christmas songs now. It's been, been a sing. very long time since you, I've seen it. You, you two more it. weeks to yeah. Christmas Eve. No. Christmas oh, Eve. No. Christmas Eve. No, no. Two more weeks to Christmas. Is it three more weeks? No, it's way more than three weeks because we're not even in December yet. It's 31 days. I know because Little Drinking Game did the... Oh boy. Asks, ask Alexa every day how many days until Christmas. And then Alexa goes, There are 31 days until Christmas. In a really robotic voice. But Santa has a joke for you. And then Santa comes and goes, Oh, ho, ho, I've got a joke for you. And then Alexa goes, Ho, 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 Santa, that was very good. I mean, come on, put some oh, effort no. into it. Yeah, That's terrifying. Honestly. Anyway, yes, Christmas is it's just around the corner. All right, any more for any more? No. no, this has gone no. very well. I'm All sorry, right. I've okay. got nothing. And people are going to people are going to mess. Oh, I'm sure there are loads. Yeah, yeah there are Twitter definitely loads. And I'm fine. sure, like you know, there's some nuns on the runs too, and it doesn't have Eric Idle or Robbie Coltrane in it, and it's a brilliant. But I have not seen it. What about, for example, the Lost World Jurassic Park? Doesn't have Sam Neill in it. It doesn't. It doesn't. It's also but, not great. Hey, it's, oh, come it's still on. better That's than, not it's, it's controversial. It's better than all the other sequels that and came it's out. Than is it 90% yes, of it is. I mean, is, is it better than Jurassic World, the first one? Yes. yes. I don't know that it is. No, it yeah, is. Yes, it is. I yeah, don't think yeah, it is. No. It is. It's better than three. Spielberg it's better than Spielberg. Fallen Standards. It's better than Dominion. Spielberg working but... at 75% is still better than pretty much anybody else. 100%. This is the thing that nobody really talks about when we were talking about the Jurassic films. There's only one good one. Yeah, that's, I mean, and that no, shows no, you no, that you should no, never. No. Incorrect. There's incorrect. only one great one, De- different thing. I suppose that is fair because, like, Jurassic World is 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 decent. It's good. It's good. It's good. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Like Fallen Kingdom, less so. Yeah, much yeah. less. Yeah. But Jurassic World is quite good. Yeah, there we go. Fine, yeah. I'm glad we were able to damn it with Frank. The Lost World is, 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 yeah, is very good. Yeah, it's just the being boring, measured again. But they've never outdone the original. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which basically shows they should not stop. They should have just stopped making them after the first one. Probably. Yeah. Uh, all right. Jumanji. Oh, oh no. Come on. No, I, I, I reboots, reboots. 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 It's not a reboot. Not a sequel. It's a sequel. Oh, you say that. You get that on a technicality. It's a reboot call. It's a reboot call. If, if it's a reboot call or a reboot, explain B.B. Newworth's presence. Can't, can you? Boom. Stymied. Backed into a corner. Boom, boom, boom. All right, boom, fine. boom. boom. I said, that is one of the things that I regret bitterly because I was offered the set visit in Hawaii for Jumanji. And what? I was just like, what? yeah. And I, I turned it down on account of, I was like, there is no world in which the reboot of Jumanji is a good film. And I remember you went to the first screening, Chris, and you came back and went, it's brilliant. It's genuinely brilliant. And we were like, oh, don't be ridiculous. And I was on Don't two hours sleep as well. Darling. I had no um, idea what I had just seen. I, but yeah. all I know is I, I thought, oh, this is tremendous. And it is. It yeah. genuinely is. Tremendous, as is the sequel. Right. You could have sent me if you didn't. I'm sorry, yourself. I'm sorry. Oh, John Nugent <laughs> actually ended up going, and The Rock presented him with a bottle of tequila when he got there. I called him his what? best friend. I know. Yeah, I could friend. have been best friends with The Rock yeah. if I hadn't been such an entitled twat. Ah, FOMO right here. <laughs> <laughs> if, after all that, you still have your question made out of the Empire podcast and treated with the respect that it deserves as some book found out to his cost a few seconds ago then you can get in touch with us we're still on Twitter we are clinging to, <laughs> we're the only ones yeah, there yeah <laughs> there is no more room for Jack Jack is Jack is in the water but we're still on the on the door floating in the ocean and um, Jack as in yes. Leonardo DiCaprio in the film but it also could 
apply to Jack the... I am Jack's creeping revenge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, So we're still on Twitter at the moment, although I'm I'm also on Hive and Mastodon. I'm not happy about it. See, I I tried to sign up to Hive and every time I tried to tweet, it just turned on my central heating. It was very, very confusing. But um, boom. <laughs> How long have you been sitting on that show, oh, James? Yes, yes. All, the, all, the, all the greats here. All the greats. Oh, so bad, I'm going to break out in <laughs> something. Mastodons. Yeah. Yes. The horn you, of a mastodon. The horn of a mastodon. You've joined uh, the hive mind. Then. I have. I, I'm not happy about it. I don't understand it. Neither do I. Hang on. I understand what? it more than I understand mastodon, which makes no sense whatsoever. What, what are I, you in hive, Chris? I'm a twat. Twat. <laughs> Well, that's not what's coming up as at Chris Hewitt. Well, be, there's another Chris Hewitt. Is, is he a better Chris Hewitt? Could we get him oh, to do no, the podcast? Oh no, it is you. I just didn't recognise you with the wig. There we go. That's because I've got um, the Quicksilver wig. Is my oh. is my avatar. Okay. If you want to have your question read out in the Empire Podcast, you can get in touch with us <laughs> on, on Hive. Twitter at Chris Hewitt. I'm also at Chris Hewitt on Hive, and I'm at Chris Hewitt on Mastodon. But quite frankly, what's the point? Oh, but you can't be. You have to be at Chris Hewitt at something on Mastodon. What's your server? <laughs> I don't give a shit. That's not a sex question. I'm just, you know. <laughs> What's, your <laughs> yeah. What's your server? What's your server? Wow. Your sexy small talk really needs to, yeah. <laughs> needs to go up a little. This is where I'm going wrong. Uh, <laughs> Give someone yeah. the horn of a mastodon. Anyway. Slide into my DMs, wait for a panicked shout out every now and again, or reply to one of my tweets or hives or mastodes. <laughs> Once, of course, you've stopped laughing. <laughs> Or been able to fucking find it on Mastodon. <laughs> Whichever comes first. Anyway, should we have a guest? Let's have a guest. Who should we have? We've got Luca Guadagnino. We've got Tim Minchin. Who do you want? That's that's that democracy rule on this one. I say let's start with Luca. Luca? Yeah, and, and get steadily, hopefully, like, cheerier <laughs> after uh, that. This is not to say not that this to is say not cheery. Not to say he's not a cheery person. And Tim Minchin, who's a lovely guy, I'm, and, I'm guessing. And, yes, but and... And a comedian. And a comedian, you know, so, yeah. yes. Uh, so, but, but Luca Guadagnino is not, uh, he isn't said, of course, a very, very serious but brilliant filmmaker. You know, responsible, of course, for the likes of A Bigger Splash and Call Me By Your Name and what was the other one he did? Suspiria. Suspiria. Now he's back with another horror-tinged Timmy Two Meets movie. And this one is called Bones and All. And it's about a pair of young lovers who... Well, let's just say, don't hang around them at the craft services table. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's, just, let's just leave it at that. Uh, it involves cannibalism, shall we say? Then let's, let's leave it's it at no that. No spoiler. No spoiler yeah. to say it involves cannibalism. And it's deeply effed up. Uh, speaking of people who are deeply effed up, we sent John Nugent along to speak to Luca Guadagnino. John refused on the grounds that it wasn't in Hawaii, but we managed to persuade <laughs> him and send him along in the end. And this is the result, which I'm told is scintillating. Enjoy. We are delighted to welcome to the Empire Podcast, uh, Luca Guadagnino. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good. I'm a bit tired, but good. Uh, it's it's a pleasure to have you. And are, are you in you're in London right now? Is that right? Yeah, I'm in a hotel room in London, overseeing some beautiful Dickensian roofs. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. Are you are you in town for long? No, I leave tomorrow. Okay. I got to I got to, I got to, to, to America to Los Angeles. Okay. Uh, so this is all, you're on a big uh, promotional tour for Bones and All, then? Is the... Yeah, I've been on the uh, on, on the on the road uh, now, it's been more than two and a half months. Two and a half months. What is it like to talk about a film for that long? Do you do you get tired of it? Do you, do you find yourself, like, repeating yourself? Uh, it's a little of a provocation from you, John. <laughs> I must say yes. You, if you ask me, I tell you, it's, it's yeah. tiring, it's... Uh, uh, it, it's a very strange experience of almost dis- disembodiment 
from your own voice. Like mm. uh, there is one voice that I can't hear anymore. It's mine. <laughs> well, we'll try and make this as painless as possible. I promise. But um, uh, I mean, how does it feel that to be at this stage in the sort of lifespan of of the film? You're you're almost ready to like let it go. Is it is it a bittersweet feeling? Where, where's your head at with it? Well, I, it helps, or it's I'm, I don't know if it helps, but it's a it's it's part of the way of my life that I have been make, working on another movie mm. last spring while I was finishing this movie. So in a way, I have not much sentimentality about the releasing and getting away from bonds and all because I already am working on another one. In general, I learned quite soon, quite early in my practice uh, as a filmmaker, not to be uh, sentimental about my work and to understand and learn that as much as I love my movies, they become uh, 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 in the moment in which they release and hopefully in time of the people who sees them. So I have to let them go. Yeah. I'm a sort of very mature kind of uh, uh, parent. I'm not more morbid <laughs> and I don't want them to grow with me. I want them to become people out in the world, my movies. Yeah, okay. That's interesting because, I mean, this film is, is I, I loved it, by the way. It's very beautiful and gorgeous and quite romantic. And I wondered if you put um, a, a, quite a lot of yourself into it. Were you, were you sentimentalizing during the process of making it? I believe that I am somebody quite committed to the processes he goes through. So I am someone who gives everything to what he does. Mm. If that comes across as something that, as movies that, that talk about myself as much as they talk about the stories they tell, it's something that can be judged by people who knows me. I, I'm not seeking a sort of autobiographical mirroring in what I do, but at the same time, I am really invested in what I do deeply. Um, someone told me recently that I am very romantic, relentlessly romantic. That's what they said about me. Mm. And I never seen myself that way. And it was kind of like revealing and somehow saddening at the same time. Because, you know, if you are a romantic as an attitude, you can't help yourself. And everything is going to be seen from that perspective. So there is nothing special about it coming from someone who's relentlessly romantic. But at the same time, um, it helps when you do movies, maybe, when you, when you talk about love, because it gives some sort of... Uh, uh, tridimensionality to the idea of romanticism on screen. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm glad to to hear you say it's not totally autobiographical. This movie, because obviously there are cannibals in it, and um, I don't know that if there's any like flesh eating in your personal history. I don't I, I don't want to assume either way. <laughs> but uh, uh, I mean, how did you balance that that the, the the two sides to this film, this sort of really real and raw and authentic, you know, human side with the with the bloods and the, and the gore and the, and the horror, horror elements, was there like a push and pull there? No, I think I am forced as a filmmaker to adhere to the characters that I describe. And it happens that this movie and this story is about people who are uh, burdened by the, their nature being the nature of someone who needs to eat. Mm other human beings and they struggle with this nature and they have moral questions about it ethical questions 
And actually, also, they want to be kind of showing the adult eaters that think that there is no way out, that there is a way out. But they are eaters of human flesh. And as a filmmaker, I have to be truthful to that and depict the behavior that comes off of that because of who they are. And, and, and the, 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 the characters, the, the characters, the cannibal characters uh, are all, I guess, outsiders in some way, right? Be just by the nature of them eating human flesh. But it, you could you could read all sorts of analogies into it. I think they are. I think they are outsiders mostly because they are people that are abandoned. Yeah. You know, Sally says, "When I ran away from home, after my mom discovering discovered me feasting on my grandfather, corpse." in the morgue, mm. I waited in the woods nearby the house for someone to look for me, and nobody came after me. They were all happy that I left, and nobody looked for me again. And this guy was a children lost in time, in the vastness of America, and with the kind of knowledge of who he was in terms of the push he has to be an eater, and nobody looked for him, who made that, and that made him a, a true loner, and at the same time an abandoned loner. Um, that, honestly, is the thing that makes me most touched and interested in these characters. Yeah, they all—they all seem like they are different shades of loneliness, right? And it's about how they respond to that loneliness in in, in different ways, perhaps. Yeah, of course. One maybe look for contact and doesn't understand that the other person you want wants doesn't want them. And other people look for contact and they find themselves in the eyes of the other. Hmm. But there's, the, I, I, I was picking up, and maybe this is me like projecting something, but, I, but it felt like it, there was a gay or a queer analogy to, to the story, even though these characters are, are ostensibly straight. Um, you know, I, was that a, a conscious on your part at all that, was it conscious on your part that you were picking that? I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe. I, I, there, there was a line that stuck out for me where I think... Um, Why? Because I'm a homosexual director? Why you felt that? I, not, and not I'm not that, saying no. it in a contentious way. I'm, I'm curious. No, I, I, there was a line where Taylor's character says, uh, I thought I was the only one, which felt like something that you could hear in in perhaps a, a, a film about gay characters. Um, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm over-reading something, but... It's interesting. Mm. I think it's interesting. I have not been consciously pursuing that metaphor, to be yeah. honest. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in love with peculiar people and people who feel that they are alone in the way they are. And then we meet, and then we are two, three. I like that. I like the singularity of people. Mm. I like people who are really kind of uh, embracing their otherness. I like people that are going past the idea of self-victimization and they are embracing boldly who they are and their otherness and they do not want to belong to the majority. That's what I love about them. Yeah. What was it like filming? This is a uh, like a road movie, right? Like uh, you, it seems like you're on location for a 
huge chunk, if not all of the film was. I mean, it was it was an, a, 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 like a great learning curve for me. I learned yeah. a lot about how they work in America because this was my first movie shot in America. I learned about the unions. I learned about how hierarchical and how bureaucratic is the way to work in America and how you cannot do make things in a flexible way. So I had to be able to adapt myself to that. And then I learned how the commitment of this amazing film crew was playing opposite to how I felt my, the commitment for my crew in Italy was playing different ways. Um, I discovered the beauty of this amazing Midwest and, um, and I tried to, 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 to put myself very close to the Midwest, very close to the people who were there very empathetically close to them. And at the same time, the day-to-day -day routine was kind of tiring. You have to go from your hotel two hours away from where you are in Indiana because the location is fantastic there. Mm -hmm. And then you have to rig this van, this truck, and then you have to piece, piece by piece collect every pieces you need to tell the story of Marin and Lee going on like a... Um, uh, moment of their trip in through America. And it is so tiring because you make one take, you go back to the beginning, you get, eh, you know, like for, for all its fluidity and all this seeminglessness of the movie, I hope it's like that. It has been very laborious. But I'm very glad because, you know, like, I think when you make movies, you should be in an uncomfortable place, not in a comfortable place. Uh, and then the, the uncomfortability is a driving force to keep going on. So you were uncomfortable making this film? I'm always uncomfortable making movies. I don't, I'm not a great <laughs> fan of shooting films, to be honest, because uh, to be on set means that you do not have a single second of your life. You don't own any of that time. For two, three months, you don't own yourself. It's almost like a, a neurotic experience because you have to be present and vigil to whatever question you might have from your crew and your actors and be always ready to give an answer. And yet, you have to put all these answers in doubt because what is making a movie right is that it doesn't answer the questions. It poses most questions. It's not the answers that count. It's the question that arises that count. Mm. That's interesting. It, do, it, are you something of a masochist then? Is it, is it like... No, <laughs> I am remotely masochist, but I know the, 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 the rules of the game. Yeah. And I don't think, I don't think that... Uh, uh, a pleasurability and work, they need to go hand in hand. Think of the sculptor who sculpts an, a, a, a sculpture that eventually looks as graceful and as light as, I don't know, a great piece of Jane Arp and mm -hmm. how long that took to go there. I'm not comparing me to the masterful Jane Arp, of course. <laughs> uh, well, uh, you know, we're very grateful for, your, for, for putting yourself through that, I suppose. Um, <laughs> But uh, you've got some amazing, you know, people working with you and some amazing performances. I wanted to ask about Taylor Russell in particular, who is so like captivating. And I was amazed to find out she's like in her late 20s. One of the pleasures of my work, of the burden of my work is to discover, not discover, but uh, mm. to give an opportunity of such an important character to a great actress like Taylor. Sorry, I interrupted you. Well, I, no, I was just going to say... I. I thought she was a teenager because she has this such like unguarded quality. Was was that what what was? Sort and of, she's a great actress. She's fantastic. Yeah, but, yeah. But but was that what drew you to her? This sort of like I, I guess rawness. I think uh, the these uh, amazing, uh, beautiful, wide Bambi eyes 
and yet a great will that she has and a wonderful understanding of the human experience that she carried with herself as a wise old lady somehow mm. being so young she's brilliant and and obviously timothy chalamet is is i mean he's he's a huge name compared to when he you worked with him and call me by your name did 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 that sort of new like status that he has now did that help for this character playing someone more worldly and confident as opposed to his character in in call me by your name i think he was very much in confidence in call me by your name yeah. elio is a very confident young kid he's very uh, intellectual he knows a lot about art he plays piano divinely he's so salacious and, and not salacious or so audacious sorry and yeah. he and, and he's so witty and he's able to seduce anybody elio Oh, uh, on the other side, Lee is a broken heart and he's a broken boy who is uh, willing to disappear. And only when he meets Maren and realizes love exists for him, he might find a little flame of hope. Actually, the two characters couldn't be more opposite. And yeah. I always found in this beautiful, bright young man that is Timothy Chalamet, this great actor, the burning fire of talent and gift that could bring to life so complex, so beautiful complexities, effortless, effortlessly. Yeah, yeah, he's wonderful. And, you know, speaking of Call Me By Your Name, this gives me, because we are speaking on Zoom and I am in my bedroom, I can show you the thing that I have uh, framed on my wall. I don't know if you can see that. That's uh, Wow, who did that? I'm not sure. It's an, an illustrator who just sent me a post. I want to make a picture. Can you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you see that? Thank you. I have never seen that. Have you not? It's a, it's a really beautiful print. Yeah, I, I've had it on my wall for, for a little never while seen now. It. But, it, you know, it's a film I, I, I love very much. And I'm, I'm sure you get this question a lot, but I'm curious to know if we'll ever see, you know, that world or those characters again. Um, I know you've, you've talked about it in the past. I have dreamt uh, since I've uh, made this Call Me By Your Name out into the world to see these characters again and to see how they have grown up, who they become, you know? And I still feel that like in, a, in Truffaut and Antoine Duanel cycle, there could be a cycle of life of these characters. We'll see, you know, life is complicated and, and cinema is complicated and things can happen and they might not happen. I do believe that as many movies I made, that there are many movies that I have not made that are still with me in my heart, that they count as, as if they were being made. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned, you, know, you sort of alluded to the, working on another film, which is Challenges, right? And, and is, yeah. that, is that all that's been shot and finished? Where are you with that? Almost finished. I shot it and I edited it. Uh, now I'm waiting to finish the mix. Uh, I'm receiving great score from Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Um, it's a movie that is very dear to me. Yeah, I mean that sounds that sounds extremely different to to Bones and All. Is 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 that a, a, a like a different? Yeah, I like to, I like I like to I like to change things. I like to change. I like to, you know. Yeah. Sometimes you can wear grey. Sometimes you can wear yellow. Depends <laughs> on how you wake up. And did you? I mean, it sounded like you put yourself through the ringer. I don't understand and... when people dress only with one color, like blue, blue, blue. <laughs> No, it's good to have a mixed wardrobe, right? Just in life. Yeah, why yeah. not? Have fun, play. 
but like yeah bones and all sounded like you know an exhausting shoot was was challenges uh challenging in the same way it's all always always it's always difficult it's always yeah. tiring but you know always uh, bringing new friends new opportunities and new revelations and new epiphanies so yeah. as far as i feel like shooting a movie is a very kind of annoying process for me at the same time of course i love it and i welcome it yes great we we, we look forward to that as well i I, th I think that's my time but it's been such a pleasure to chat with you Luca. and um yeah thank you so much for your time thank you john thank you very much have a great afternoon watching freaks <laughs> i will do i will do take care Cheers, bye. Okay, so that was Luca Guadagnino and Bones and All is out this week. In fact, it's out in the cinemas right now and we will be reviewing it in the reviews section later on. Fancy that. But next is the movie news section and we're going to start with the big movie news, the one that's in everyone's lips. It's just the world is abuzz with, with this right now because the new issue of Empire is on sale right now. Uh, the more eagle-eared amongst you will have realized we forgot to mention the, <laughs> the previous issue of Empire when it went sale last month. Whoops. So we're, And it was great as well. Was it? Yeah, okay. Yeah. We're overcorrecting now by, by mentioning this one, which is also good. So there we go. Of course it is. It's got Harrison Ford on the cover for Indy. Hey, yeah. It is. Which they're still calling Indy Five. I find it so confusing. But this um, is the one indie ref that went through this week. Oh, oh. there you go. Politics. Thank you. You take the high road. Take the road. <laughs> well, we know we'll, you'll take the low road, yeah. Um, I yeah. always take the low road. Steady. So, yes, so tell us about the issue. Yeah. yeah. So, there's things in it, and yeah. on the cover of the uh, issue is Indiana Jones mm. and the What's It of Who? Because they still haven't revealed yes. the title. But in a world exclusive, they have revealed other things yes. in the issue, including what Harrison Ford looks like. Uh, in the Indiana Jones costume at the age of 80. Yes. It's amazing. Mm. He's still more spry at 80 than I am at, at age. <laughs> and uh, and also inside, Nick DeSemlian spoke to... Everyone, really. James Mangold. Everyone. Yeah. Everyone. And Harrison Ford. And Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Phoebe Waller-Bridge yeah. and Boyd Holbrook and all the good people and elicited some information about the movie, mm. including mm. when it's set and the, the first few minutes. The nature of the bad minutes, guys. The nature mm -hmm. of the bad guys. It's, it's, it's a there. really, really good piece with amazing assets. Yeah. Like, so it's, it's a big, big, big exclusive, which is presumably why everyone's been splashing all over their websites recently. I beg your but, pardon. Uh, steady. Uh, it's very, very, very exciting issue. But also, it's like, that's not the only thing that's in it. It's indie-tastic, but there's loads of great stuff in the preview of next year. You've got John Wick 4 is in there. What else is in the preview, Chris? Uh, well, I interviewed uh, Chris McQuarrie for yes. uh, a small Mission Impossible kind of catch-up, but nonetheless an exciting one about Dead Reckoning Part 1. Mm. Uh, Jad Stahelski on John Wick Chapter 4. Uh, Taika Waititi's in there as well, talking yep, about Next Girl Next Wins, Girl Wind, which is a movie that is definitely going to come out. Um, it's, it's, it's been on the on the radar for a while now. He, he shot and released Thor Love and Thunder after shooting Next Girl Wins, but... It is going to come out. And uh, Michael B. Jordan on Creed 3, mm -hmm. which I'm tremendously excited about, and might be an answer to the question. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Could be. Could be. Yeah. Might be an answer wow. to the question. Yeah, it's super good. It is super good. And uh, we got Peyton Reed uh, talking about Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, his first interview about that, talking about Kang, Kang, and um, some other stuff, how it fits into the MCU. And I, I don't know. What, what do you want from me? A memory? <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's a really, really good issue. There's some also good stuff in my section. If someone could remind me what's in that section, that would be wonderful. Who is it? It's someone, isn't it? Someone good. Ron Howard is the lead interview, and there's other things in there as well. <laughs> 
can see now why we didn't mention the issue. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is because you work like two months in advance, isn't I it? I work two months in advance. But yeah. in fairness, Helen, if you asked me to name what was in the issue we're working on right now, I couldn't tell you either. So it's Fair fine. Enough. Fair enough. So we, uh, the issue, of course, is on sale right now in all good and evil news agents and virtual news agents as well. And it is an absolute belter. So rush out, rush out to your nearest news agent and get it and pay our wages for Christmas Absolute no nope. motherfuckers. No, no. Anyway, what else is happening in the world of movie news this week? Now we've stopped talking about the new issue of Empire. Kalechi, is there anything that you've got? Well, it's actually still Empire, but I was oh. fascinated by um, the new release about Lufa and the first images mm. being released. Lufa, uh, Lufa, yeah. Lufa. <laughs> I, it's uh, unclear why Lufa is at the South Pole. Presumably, he's going to punch Santa in the face. That's the only thing I can that, assume. Santa that, lives at the North Pole. <laughs> no, Helen, he <laughs> did ridiculous. live at the North Pole, but he moved because of With global what, warming what, and climate, the glaciers were shrinking. Change. Yeah, climate change, he's now moved to the South Pole. I thought he was on Hoff. He could be on Hoff. He could be on Hoff. I'm thinking it's the start of Punching a Wampa. Yeah. I beg your pardon. Okay, none of this makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to see what, th- what that changes. Lufa! Lufa! <laughs> So what's he going to cancel? I don't know, but I, I'm excited to see. It's more Idris Elba, and I love that. Yeah, I love that. And it was like my one of my my first piece for for Empire writing about his top ten best roles. So I'm like, there nice, you go. It's a nice little close. What was you know? remind me? What was number number one? Oh, good, yeah, yeah, go through the number ten if you can remember. <laughs> <laughs> Why you put me on the spot, Chris? Um, no, I can't even remember. But my top two was number two was. Stringer Bell. No, okay. no, 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 no. Oh, that was number cool. one. That was number one. That was number one. Yeah, so that yeah. was number one. Stringer Bell in the wire. Yeah. And then it was, yeah, Lufa, number two. All right. Good choices. I mean, he's still got the same coat. So that's the main thing. 10 yeah. out of 10. Can, no notes. It's like Indiana Jones. Though. Where did like, Brixton come yeah. in? Hobbs and Shaw presents, or whatever it's called. <laughs> Transformers think, Age of Extinction. I think that was number 10 for me. Okay. But, so it made, it made it on he, put, the list. he put Brixton on the map. Again, <laughs> I mean, Brixton's yeah. already on the map. Yeah, man, yeah, but it's been on the map already. But like, get out of in map. terms of in terms of like <laughs> changing like, the South London cult- the culture, bringing uh-huh. Brixton on the map, and then you're yeah. naming a character after Brixton. I'm sure there's enough enough like of influx of people who are like, okay, yeah, I'm going to come to Brixton to come because of Idris Elba. Somebody must have done that, right? Done a world map with just movie characters named after those places. Indiana. Yeah, Indiana. Yeah. Funnily enough, I went on holiday to Stacker Pentecost this year. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're cancelling the apocalypse. Um, <laughs> all right. Any more movie news? Yes. Tell me that's not it. There, <laughs> that's is, it. there is a director. A director has finally been appointed for um, Blade. Laser. Blazer. There we go. As is traditional. And it is Jan de Monge. It so, is. Um, this follows the report in, wasn't it September, that Bassam Tariq uh, left the film. Uh, director Mughal Mowgli, um, and uh, and now it's uh, 71's uh, Demange who's taking over. So that seems to be back on the move. It was originally due to start kicking off, I think, this month. It's now obviously going to go into next year, but uh, they've got some time because it's not out, uh, not due out now until September 2024. So he has some time to get it into, uh, into shape. But, uh, you know, Blade's moving again, and that's got to be a good thing. That's exciting, and... Uh... Yeah, British director as well, yeah. which is interesting. Yeah, I'm excited about that. We should mention, of course, that it's Thanksgiving. Right now, as we record it this is. podcast, it is yeah. Thanksgiving, which means that Hollywood has shut down for the week to mm. gorge themselves on turkey. Gobble, mm. gobble. And, uh, <laughs> too soon. Too soon. Too soon. Listen, it all, worked, it all worked out in the end. It did. It did work out. If anyone doesn't know what I'm referring to... <laughs> 
Go and watch Julie. Yes, the infamous <laughs> scene in, in Julie, no. which I didn't think was that bad. Uh, were what, the Jennifer, scene or the film? The, the, both. Uh, <laughs> Chris Walken's really fun in it. Al Pacino's fun. I thought it was, I thought it was okay. It certainly didn't warrant Martin Brest never making a movie again. <laughs> But anyway, that was that was a movie starring uh, Jennifer Lopez and, and Ben Affleck, and it was it was given her a, a thorough kicking, and who knows, may even have contributed to their breakup at the time. But everything's good now. Everything's they're good. they're married. We're rooting for those crazy we kids. Are. They seem happy as Larry, so it's all good. And there's a scene in that where Jennifer Lopez uh, invites Ben Affleck, shall we say, to perform in the course of the oral variety, <laughs> on her. and she rolls over. And points at her nethers and says, it's turkey time, gobble, gobble. Well done, Thanksgiving. Yay, go yeah. America. Oh, no. I, yeah. I think you've just put so many people off their dinners. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Hey, so movie there's, news, there's no though. movie news is what I'm saying. No, there's okay. not a lot. There is some, though. Um, we, we got the not exactly unexpected news that uh, Angelica Houston will be in Ballerina, that is the John Wick spin-off Ballerina. And when we last saw her in John Wick, she was, of course, presiding over a ballet school. So it she does was, make a was. certain amount of sense that she would be involved in the Ballerina ex- Assassins, yeah. you know, from which the film takes its focus. Agreed. So, yes, yeah, so she'll be joining, obviously, Anna de Armas and, as we all know now, um, uh, visiting Keanu Reeves as well. Are you excited about that, Kalechi? Oh, yeah. Yeah? <laughs> you John Wick fan? Absolutely. Who isn't? Who isn't? You, Chris. Yeah. You were not a John Wick fan. Oh, not this. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm never letting this, you forget this it. This is shocking news Listen, to me. Who doesn't love he's, John he's Wick? He's seen the light since. He's seen yeah. the light mm. since. Listen, John Wick, I love John Wick. And, I, you know, since then, obviously, you know, have <laughs> had quite the conversion. <laughs> uh, been on set what, of what John was, Wick Chapter 3. What was the turning point for you? The turning point it, was rewatching it. I don't think, like, he, I don't think you hated it or no, anything. No, I didn't hate it. No. You just preferred the equalizer. I preferred the equalizer. Yeah. Yeah. Which absolutely. I feel come like, at me. Come at me. I feel like even Denzel Washington yeah. would be like, yeah. come on, man. Yeah. No, 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 no. 100%. Denzel, yeah. even right now, even as we speak, is hard at work. He is. With Antoine Fuqua <laughs> on their masterpiece. He is about to paint his masterpiece. The Frequalizer. The Frequalizer. <laughs> the Equalizer 3. Chris is odd. Is that? I'm the only person who's excited about this movie. I am so, so there for it. We're really going to get the Equalizer 3 and John Wick Chapter 4 in oh. the same year. <sighs> so we you can be, once yeah. again be wrong. Yeah. 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 <laughs> One of those films is it's great. It's turkey time. Gobble, gobble. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very, very excited. Wowzers. Oh, should we talk about the Equalizer 3 for another 25 no, minutes? Let's no, let's not. Because, <laughs> because we have more Chris-friendly news. Oh, do we? Yes, what there do we is. Have? It's about the reboot of Escape from New York. Oh, yeah. I'm. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, oh yeah. Chris-friendly. Oh. Yeah. So there's been talk about an attempt to reboot this for a long time, but it now seems that, like the recent screen directing team... Radio Silence, a.k.a. Matt Bettinelli-Olpin and Tyler Gillette, um, are going to be taking on the job. Uh, John Carpenter will still be involved. He will be an executive producer. And so now all they have to do is find someone to play Snake Pliskin. There Good luck go. with that. Yeah, I heard well, he's dead. I heard a rumour yeah. on the internet, yeah. on, on <laughs> rumour.com, that they won't have to find someone else to play Snake because this apparently will be an old snake tale. I heard an interesting fact this week about Escape from L.A. You know uh, when he inexplicably plays basketball 
in the middle of that film. I don't remember. You don't remember what he does. Yes. He plays basketball. Thing. Apparently, Kurt Russell insisted on learning to play basketball well so that he could show off his own skills. And when he does that shot across the entire court, mm. he fucking did it. He did a Sigourney Weaver. He, he did, actually I was did say, it. Oh, wow. was, yeah. was he just trying to, to yeah. call yeah. Sigourney Weaver? Was, I mean, Sigourney Weaver wasn't even fucking looking when she did hers. Like, she is absolutely <laughs> hardcore. But And also, you get the hint. If you watch it again, you think, this feels a lot like Take 373, <laughs> but sure, whatever you want. But nevertheless, he did make it. So props to Kurt Russell. Yeah, fair play. Fair play. Mm. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, if Kurt Russell comes back as Snake Pliskin, I'm I'm there for it. Rather that than trying to find someone who can play. Yeah. Yeah. You can't. Who can fill Kurt Russell's shoes? No one can. You can't fill those no. shoes. No. Why does he have enormous feet? He does. Yeah. <laughs> Very unusually large feet, mm. like Krusty the Clown. Gosh. And you know what they say about men with unusually large feet? Large shoes. Mm. Large shoes. <laughs> Is there any more movie news? Yes, there is. There is a little bit more. The little bit more. A which squeeze is, a little bit more. David Leach is directing Channing Tatum. Channing. In an action thriller, which is pretty much under wraps, but it is called Red Shirt. Now, let me just is get it ahead a Star of James. Let me just get ahead of James. <laughs> but I can't because he won't let me finish the sentence. Sorry. And say that, no, sadly, this has nothing to do with the Star Trek cannon fodder. Apparently, this is a Aww, spy thriller this... take, a spin on James Bond. Does he get Bond. killed in the first two minutes? Um, <laughs> I mean, look, it's possible because that's roughly how long he worked with David Leitch in the past. No spoilers for any recent films. But yeah, I mean, that's 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 the film. Red shirt. Red shirt. Mm. Red shirt, yellow shirt. Red shirt, yellow shirt. Red shirt, yellow shirt. What? Hmm? Oh. <laughs> uh, I felt like you just did connect forward right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are. That's, what we're, that's exactly what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. If you're playing it with shirts, yeah. you're probably doing it wrong, but yeah. whatever you like. Yeah. You ever played um, Strip Cluedo? What? Colonel Mustard's candlestick on full display in the library, that yes. kind of thing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right. So, two bits of news that broke last week just as the podcast went up. One is that there are more Spider Man, <laughs> free Spider Man things coming our way. Because uh, Sony and Marvel and Amazon have teamed up to produce a number of Spider-Man live-action TV shows. Mm. Uh, And you may roll your eyes at that. Um, And if you've watched any of the non-Spider-Man-specific Spider-Man movies, then you would be justified in rolling your eyes. However, this one is called... The first one is going to be called Silk Spider Society and will follow a recently created Spider-Man character called Silk... And it's going to be developed by Angela Kang, not the Conqueror, but the Walking <laughs> Dead showrunner, who of course now is no unemployed, running that show. Yes, unemployed, but in a in a then, nice way. So yeah. is everyone else because it finished last week. But yeah, mm-hmm. and it's going to be it's going to be also overseen by Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Okay. So good people, good people. Yeah, yeah, happy days. And so there's going to be more TV shows announced over the next few weeks and months, and they will be available on. Prime on Prime Video. So okay. that's that's exciting. Keep an eye on that one. There's been talk for a while that Steven Spielberg is going to reboot Bullet, but not reboot Bullet, if you know what I mean. So obviously the 1968 Steve McQueen cop thriller classic, one of the greatest car chases of all time, yeah. of course. Features the Ford Puma. Um, <laughs> you know, that's set in stone. That's there. But Spielberg is a huge, huge fan of that movie. And so he has closed a deal recently to develop a new Bullet movie, which will not be a remake of Bullet, but which will take the character of Frank Bullet and recast him. Mm. And the, he has found his Bullet, and that Bullet is Bradley Cooper. 
And you think this will go to number one with a bullet at the box office? Uh, it, it may well do. <laughs> um, I, like, I think that's pretty good casting. I think he's got kind of a, you know, he can do a sort of louche energy, that kind of Steve McQueen cool. I think he's capable of it. Yeah. Um, so that that seems like an interesting thing to me. And it, I'm all right in thinking it was a book, right? There's a, an, so he's, there's some material there to draw on? Yeah, I, I think there's a, there's yeah. a wider a Yeah, wider, wider world. So. A bullet verse. Yes. <laughs> a bullet verse. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's good casting. And I, I you know, there, there's a lot of talk about the two of them sort of, you know, talking together as filmmakers and sort of bonding as filmmakers. So I think there's there's some interesting possibilities there. I don't wasn't know. Spielberg yeah. going to direct Star is Born and then he stepped aside. Obviously, Clint Eastwood was going to direct mm-hmm. Star is Born as well, but I think Spielberg was circling it for a while. And then Spielberg was circling Maestro, which is Bradley Cooper's next movie as director, in which he plays Leonard Bernstein. And so I think they've been chatting. Yeah, and, I think they've yeah. been, yeah. Talk, talking, kind of circling each other for a while. So, yeah, mm-hmm. this this could be really cool. Mm-hmm. Be good. He gets his wish. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. All right. Anything else? That's all I got. All right. Yeah. That's good. I think we did all right. That's okay. Should we have another guest? Let's yes. Do that. While people are tucking into their Thanksgiving turkeys, Tim Minchin, of course, is a very, very funny comedian, but also a brilliant musician. Um, in fact, a musical comedian. And he was responsible for writing the music and lyrics for the musical version of Roald Dahl's Matilda which has become a huge boffo hit, as they say, in the West End. And in the States, Helen, is it in the States? I can't remember. I believe it comes out this week as well. Oh, sorry, the, 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 the show. Yes, yeah. the show's on Broadway. The show's on Broadway and is, is doing gangbusters. Unlike, sadly, Groundhog Day, the musical, for which Tim Minchin also wrote the music, which was uh, just a, a work of staggering genius mm-hmm. and did well over here when it opened at the old fic and died on its arse in the States. Absolute Shame fools. on all who ignored that incredible, incredible musical. They went to see Dear Evan Hansen instead with all... Oh. All due respect, God. <laughs> get your lives in order, Broadway. Come on, I'm I'm still in shock how they made that movie. I, uh, let's not even. Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel I feel triggered at this point. I can't. Point. I can't. I can't. <laughs> it's not good. It's not a good place to go. Anyway, Matilda the Musical, directed by Matthew Warchus, is out this week in cinemas. And uh, with all those Tim Minchin songs intact, is there a new one, Helen, or has he written anything? There new? is a new one, um, but not, I think, basically he was very much, well, he'll, he'll talk about it in the interview, he was very keen on cutting things down if they didn't need to be there, if they were going to slow things down in the movie. So, yeah, it's an interesting adaptation. All right, there we go. So, Helen here, who, like me, is a big Tim Minchin fan, went along and spoke to him when he was at the LFF a couple of weeks ago and had a big old natter about Matilda and Groundhog Day and all that jazz. Did you talk about all that jazz? We didn't actually talk about all that jazz. That's a shame. Good good show, though. That's a shame. (laughs) Good good show. Good show. All right, here we go. Helen talking to Tim Minchin. Jazz hands. How are things? At the the premiere last night, you said uh, that basically none of this was down to you and you just sort of did all the work 12 years ago. Yeah. I just turned up. Yeah, I think that's pretty much right. I mean, the, the, the problems of... Adapting from anything to anything, the, the sort of problem solving, uh, yeah, I had very little to do with it. And the reason the movie is so special is because Matthew Watches, I think composer lyricists tend to be overcredited with musicals because those songs are the, the, the foundations upon which the thing sits, but it, it doesn't really, uh, that, that's not how musicals work. It requires in, um, the reason they don't work very often, the reason they are sort of lightning in a bottle things is they do require the meshing of a bunch of people hopefully working at the top of their game. And that was always the case with the stage musical. Even all the way back then, I was not very involved in the production. I just supplied the material Mm -hmm. um, and then got on with my weird touring life. Um, 
That said, I have stayed incredibly engaged with the show because I'm sort of the face of it and I know that's part of my job. Um, I'm very passionate about it and it's, it's just been an amazing thing in my life. But the fact that, that Netflix and Sony came around to the idea that Matthew should direct the film, I, I, in fact, I don't think it was ever really questioned, means okay. that um, it, it has retained all its eccentricity and heart and stuff. Um, I was sort of involved in, brutally, it's about what you cut when you go to film from stage. Um, and I was quite strongly pro-cutting things, actually, right. because I I understood that you just don't have as much time for diversions. And there's that, a different rhythm, isn't there, there really between is. film musicals and, and stage musicals, I feel like. Yeah, stage musical can sort of go, right, we're going to listen to Mrs. Wormwood sing a song which is actually a satire about anti-intellectualism in, in the 21st century. And you, you just can't yeah. necessarily do that in a movie. You really want the audience to be on a ride towards an emotional denouement. And that's what happens in this movie. It's, it's quite mad because Matilda copes with her, her life by escaping in story, both in the book she reads and the stories she creates. And in the movie, you get to go with her. Mm. So it's it's quite discombobulating. It really asks the audience to to sit in her childhood experience of like spending half her time in this other world, telling a story to Mrs. Phelps, and then and then playing tricks on her parents. And um, but it is incredibly successful in that it drives and drives and drives and drives. And it feels like you're on a wild ride, and you don't quite know what the hell's going on. And then when Miss Honey takes Matilda to her cottage after she's done magic and sings my house and the past creeps in and ties up the mystery of Matilda's story and we all suddenly know what's going on. It is, it's like I've never felt something land in it. It's like a hole in one. It's just like emotionally like boom and all your investment, all your sticking with the eccentricity of the movie gets rewarded. I just sob in that moment every time I've seen it five times and I just can't not cry when that escapologist comes down the stairs and you realise that Matilda has put herself into Miss Honey's past. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's brilliant because it, it, it does, I mean, this is possibly a slight spoiler for anyone who hasn't seen yeah. the, the few people who still haven't seen the show, but um, it <laughs> ties them together beautifully because I think Miss Honey and Matilda's relationship really gets room to build and grow through this film and you see, yeah. I mean, they're, they're so good together, that those, those two pieces it? of casting. Yeah, that's what I think. I mean, you hope, you like to believe that the text makes that inevitable, that, that um, coalescence or that, that linking together of the two protagonists, but uh, you've got to get it right. You've got to get the casting right and then the people you cast have to click and have whatever that thing is we call chemistry. And um, my God, I mean, those two together, they just did such beautiful work. Yeah. I don't quite know where Alicia Weir came from, sort of the same place Matilda came from, I think, some other world. And Lashana's range, she is uh, sort of unrecognisable. She's a, I just saw her in The Woman King. I talked to her for The Woman King yeah. earlier this week, and she is this, like, large, fierce, strong woman in yeah. that. And, and she just feels completely different. The energy and just the body language and everything yeah. is so radically different. Well, I'd only ever seen her. I, I've seen her on James Bond and I've seen her in, in a Marvel film years ago, whatever that one's called, Captain, Amer Captain, Captain Marvel. Marvel yeah. And I haven't seen The Woman King. Mostly I've just seen her in 
this process. I, I saw very early rushes. I heard a demo of her singing My House early and went, oh, my God, it's going to be great. And, you know, I talked to her on email. Hi, Lashana, you don't know me. I'm Tim Inch. And we had a few chats over the thing because I was stuck in Australia for the whole filming. Um, and I kind of met her last night and I'm like, oh, my God, you're like six foot tall and like obviously intellectually fierce and um, you know her, her acting range and I just – uh, I just did. I, I I knew her as Miss Honey. I'm like, you're a mate. Like I, I don't. You don't feel like the same person. I mean, that is talent. That it is really extraordinary is. immersion. And it also felt like just really interesting to some degree, counterintuitive casting. Just because I think in previous adaptations and just you know images even in the book, Miss Honey is physically small. She's yeah. physically frail. I think. Yes, that's right. And, and it just felt like it. It was actually quite powerful because it shows you. You know that uh, that this this headmistress is terrifying to everyone. That she's yeah. dehumanizing and destabilizing to yeah. everyone, and it doesn't matter how big and grown up you are. That's right. You're you're you're. She's a proper baddie, and everyone <laughs> is sort of gaslit by her madness. You know, she is Trumpian. Yeah. We we created Trunchbull many years pre-Trump, but the combination of Mrs. Wormwood's sort of proud anti-intellectualism and um, and Trunchbull's sort of despotic changing the rules whenever anyone, you know, that, that when she's wrong, it must be the world that's wrong. You know, it feels pretty salient, right? It does feel a little, <clears throat> a little too predictive. Yeah, that's the right. Future. Well, that's, yeah, we live in a world that is the inevitable result of, um, of uh, slow uh, popularity of anti-intellectualism, the, the creep. It is a bit, isn't it? Mm. Um, I, I did want to ask about Miss Trunchbull as well. I mean, uh, obviously in the show, it's the, the role's mostly been played, I think all been played by men. I don't know about... Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, always, yeah. Yeah. So was that a... Was that a did you have to, like, rewrite things and, and change things for her range? Uh, you know, not me, not Chris you. Nightingale. <laughs> it's all Chris Nightingale. Um, I mean, that's the other sort of secret of, of Matilda is Chris Nightingale, who orchestrated it and who took my songs and drew out all the musical themes uh, to create the musical and now to completely rescore the film. Um, so it's always Chris or, or Laurie Perkins who does all my transcriptions because I can't read or write music. Um, but, yeah, Chris, we knew we'd have to shift the key and I, I think we need to publish the key shifted version because it, it's getting done in schools all over the world and I've seen, uh, you know, 16-year-old uh, girls in their year 11 musical trying to sing Trunchbull in the, in the male range wow. and it's just like, we've got to fix that. Yeah. The, the the people who distribute the rights are very protective of it. You're not allowed to change stuff. Well, I'm like, no, just change it. Like, what are you doing? You can't <laughs> sing it down there. Um, yeah, the, the um, casting Trunchbull as a man is a, the necessity of eight shows a week of someone who's six foot tall and can throw a child around. You know, they, those dudes end up in physio anyway. So, um, yeah, and then, then it was sort of obvious once you go to film, you just go, well, she can do whatever she wants and I don't really care. I, I'm not particularly um, engaged in discussions about how how uh, how um, how much as an actor you have to, how many attributes of your character you should have before it becomes politically problematic. Uh, I don't really, uh, I you know whatever. I can I can listen to people's ideas on that. But Emma Thompson was just so, Matthew said, "What about Emma?" And I just went, "We can get Emma, like we can get Emma." And he's like, "Yes, yeah, she's desperate to do it." And I'm like, "Well, let's just stop." talking let's just get emma like are you kidding me it's just 
remarkable her performance it's it's uh, it's off the charts yeah it's and, mad yeah. and it sort of holds the movie in this place of complete dalian madness and which is why when the heart lands so heavily it it's almost destabilizing for the audience to go oh we were in this sort of magic realism evil kooky despot world and now we're just crying you know yeah i mean it's it's that mix isn't it that makes rural dolls books so special that i think is made part, part of the reason that the musical's been so successful is it's very funny it's very scary at times and it is also you know it has it does have heart it does have goodness about it there is darkness in these mm. films and these books and these stories that isn't isn't sometimes some people think isn't okay for kids which i think is kind of backwards and upside down because surely this is the kind of stuff we need kids yeah. to face and we need kids to, you know, that they're aware exists in the world and they want to see in their stories. Yeah, I think so. And kids, Dahl was a genius at um, letting kids glimpse the darkness because you can't, they know. Kids, kids, kids very early are aware of death and they all, my, my kids both went through a period of fear about that it didn't last very long because humans have wired in us the acceptance of our mortality but it's a hell of a thing but they have to go through it they don't not know it's there that it's really hard to know when to give your kids the information i think i might have gone a bit early on some stuff because i was just like i'll just tell the truth you know mm. my four-year-old daughter going does heaven exist i'm like no what happens when you die you stop you're like a tree eventually you stop you know she's like okay but cut forward a few years, she's a massively depressed 13-year-old. <laughs> but, um, but um, yeah, I think uh, I do think there's a reason why through hundreds and hundreds of thousands probably of years of storytelling, you know, we've done Hansel and Gretel. It's like there is a witch and it will kill you. There, these tales, these Indigenous tales of, you know, if you, if you steal someone else's hunt, you deserve to be killed. You know, which is, uh, again, it's, it's a bit much, but the Greeks had all these tales of uh, people getting their moral comeuppance and, and they're dark. And, you know, I don't think we should go, we're, we're so smart in 2022, we're going to protect our kids from all that. There's a reason why children have always heard bleak tales. Yeah. I'm not quite sure how to unpack that. But <laughs> I suspect it's um, really important. Yeah, I think so too. Um, so, I mean, how has it been, you know, watching this come to life in the film? Because the stage show is so, it's so brilliantly staged. Yeah. I mean, not like it's silly to say, but it like it's, it's the quite theatre looks a complete incredible. thing, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. And so to put it on screen must have been a very weird experience in some ways. Yeah, well, as I say, I didn't have anything to do with it. But I, I guess I was involved in discussions about what it, is important to retain and and in discussions about how there's an intensity especially to the darkness of a story that um film offers you no escape from in a way that the, both the source text dahl was the master of doing dark but keeping it light you know and she died and then there was a lizard you know like this sort of taking the weight off it all the time whilst not betraying his character's experiences but that was his gift right he, he was writing stories about kids who were brought up in abusive households without it feeling like that 
And the stage show manages to pull the same trick because you have this two-dimensionality or it's all behind a cross arch and you're watching a sort of slightly panto-y and that's another reason why you mm. cast Trunch as a man. It keeps it sort of um, just tipping its hat towards pantomime to take that there's, there's comedy in the physicality of her um, that keeps the evil thing not too scary for kids and the the performances are very heightened and that all happens in the movie but the fact is if the camera is in an extreme close-up of Lashana Lynch while she sings My House there's no escaping that she had incredible pain mm -hmm. and so it, it the the difficulty was making sure it didn't become too intense because it's a really intense story and I think Matthew achieved that by sweeping you away into the very place that Matilda took herself to avoid pain, which is magic realism, which is fantasy. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of magical that way. Very magical that way. Um, I wanted to ask about another musical while I'm here because I saw Groundhog Day back when it was at the Old Vic yeah. a few years ago. One of the all-time best musicals I've ever seen in my life. I oh, adore I need it. to hear that right now. No, I'm, I'm still furious that Broadway didn't quite feel the same way, genuinely. Um, <laughs> I have three songs, I think, on my best songs playlist. Oh, amazing. Yeah, I, I love that. you like. I like Groundhog Day. Is it coming back? Yeah. Yes? Next. Yeah, I think Matthew's going to put it back on at the Old Vic and then Sort of just give it a relaunch because it just got caught up in a bunch of shit. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, Broadway's tough, and I, I know it's very easy to sound bitter, and I'm genuinely not anymore. I was, but um, you know, it's a town that saw Matilda come in and gave all the Tonys to Kinky Boots, and it's just like it's kind of crazy. I don't think anyone doesn't think that's a bit weird. Um, so that, which is fine, it's their town. It's they're supporting their own industry and stuff. But Groundhog Day didn't have much hope that year mm -hmm. with a, with a which isn't to say that I think it's a flawless piece and it's certainly not for everyone. It's, you know, you can watch it four times. It's like one of those seeing eye pictures, you know, like people who love Groundhog Day tend to, tended to have seen it ironically because it's Groundhog Day more than once. It's <laughs> really, really dense mm. and you keep, there's so much stuff in it that you find. Uh, and the other thing, it doesn't really work as an album. Modern hit musicals, like Evan Hansen, you know, Pasek and Paul, those boys who wrote Showman and, and obviously Lin-Manuel's stuff. I mean, those songs go on the radio and people, I just don't write music like that. The way I write musical theatre is all about integrating the dialogue with, it's like Groundhog Day as an album sort of doesn't make any sense whatsoever because it's all about the in and out of dialogue. It's like you press play on the Groundhog Day score and the whole thing never stops. Well, you get an interval, but... um. It's a, it's a sort of a different genre, yeah. but I, I really do believe it will have a life. It'll never be Matilda because it's just it's a it's a very complex musical about depression and suicidality and escaping the sort of mortifying circularity of the spiral towards our own decay. You know, <laughs> it's very funny as well. Oh, fun. yeah. <laughs> it's your sort of musical. Yeah, it is. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's so but I cannot wait to see it again. After oh, it will so fall glad. until the one day to the screen because I just think everyone deserves to see it. Oh, good. I can't get yeah, you'd, you'd be uh, brave to do another Groundhog Day movie, wouldn't you? <laughs> you, you would be a little bit, yeah. Is it true that um, Bill Murray went twice in two nights? Yeah, he did, yeah. He so loved it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's such a good story, that. So Bill Murray. So what's next for you? You've I think you've said no more family musicals, but you've talked about everything. You've talked about directing films. You've talked about writing essays. You've talked about another album what do you yeah. what's next I, I, I don't think I will 
I think enough time's gone by. I, I'd be very happy to write another family musical now. I've got one that's sniffing around. Um, it's if you want to make money, it's for me. It, that's a good way to make money. But I, I don't really, not really interested in that. I, I, I really loved making upright. I, I this um, TV writing, writing scripts uh, was a real revelation for me. Um, I really want to get better at it, and because I think. There's something about the skills I've accumulated, my love of the dark light tightrope and the rhythm with which I use words. And um, I think I think writing dialogue is something I'd really like to lean into. So I've got another, I've just finished editing season two of Upright, which comes out two days before this goes to, the uh, Matilda goes to the cinemas. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I'm, I've got a new TV show in development. I don't want to get stuck in TV, but I also think I've been on this journey towards making a TV show that uh, vehicles where I'm the star or one of the stars and where I'm kind of using my musicality. These characters tend to be musicians and I think this next show is going to be the end of that journey. I, I think, you know, I'm not going to Woody Allen it and keep <laughs> keep writing things for myself. I think that's a... Uh, that that will be the the full stop on my journey towards whether or not I can write myself a TV vehicle. Right. <laughs> um, but now I've ticked all my boxes, and now it's about just getting my balance right. So, touring, albums, musicals, TV shows, acting in other people's shit. Like I'd love to do another play. I haven't done a play just as an actor for a yeah, long time. It's been time. a few years. Also, yeah. Saying, yeah. Um, so I'm just so ridiculously spoiled and. It's just balance now, and in there somewhere, I have to do better at taking holidays, and because I'm a bit obsessed. Okay, and that's start off the review section by talking about Roald Dahl's Matilda the Musical, Hell's Bells. You said interesting, so were you not all in on this one? I was. I, I liked it. Um, I didn't think it was maybe a hundred percent everything I wanted it to be, but I, but I did like it. This is the adaptation, obviously, of the the stage musical. And while Tim mentioned talked about the importance of kind of cutting things down and not kind of belaboring the the musical at the same time it still feels quite long for I think its intended audience so I worry slightly that it will bore frankly the the mm. age group mm-hmm. at which it's, what, it's like an hour 40 it's, something no it's, it's very, it's very long to, yeah it's very close to two hours oh, is it? so okay. yeah I think that's a little bit long for the kind of movie that it is that said it is a, a very credible attempt to open out the world of the stage show I think Matthew Warkus does a very good job of bringing it off the stage and still keeping some of the kind of clever design elements of the mm. stage and still giving it a sense of something different to what we've maybe seen before on 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 the screen. Uh, Matilda herself is really well played, I thought, by uh, Alicia Weir. I think she's a real star in the making. She gets, she has that kind of clever girl energy. So Matilda, for those who don't know the book or the stage show, uh, Roald Dahl's story of a girl genius who is born into a family of corrupt idiots and then sent to a school run by a sadist and basically has to find her own way to to escape, uh, which she does with the help of a, the, her one friendly teacher, Miss Honey, who's played here by Lashana Lynch. So I think the casting across the board is great because you've got Stephen Graham and Andrea Riseborough <laughs> as her parents, who are both having the time of their lives yeah. not playing in a drama for once. <laughs> and then you have Emma Actual Thompson, Chris's best friend. My best friend, my yeah. BFF. As, as Miss Trunchbull. Now, this is a character that has mostly been played by a man on stage, 
Uh, partly, I think, to give the size differential um, between between Matilda, Matilda and the other kids and Miss Trunchbull, but also, I think, just for the more kind of out- outrageous and grotesque aspects of the character. And so, you know, Emma Thompson throws herself into it. She's in prosthetics. She's in a fat suit. She's so in much prosthetics. gigantic sort of iron-looking shoes. Uh, she is quite terrifying. Matilda basically has to find a way to outwit her and somehow, you know, navigate this very hostile environment and find her own sort of uh, way to a happy life that allows her to actually use her gifts for for good because as well as being extremely bright she also turns out to have essentially psychic powers now what's <laughs> what's i think kind of good about this is i think the film maybe even more than the show and certainly more than the book emphasizes the fact that it's you know it's kids together against kids this. together strong it is kids together strong <laughs> against this teacher. It's not just one girl against the world. It's it's very much kind of an ensemble piece. And all the other little kids do get something to do. And they're all super charming. I think the show and then this this film have built something up from the book, which is the backstory. There's a story that, that Matilda tells through yeah. the mm-hmm. thing, which they kind of animate beautifully and they bring to life really interestingly. But you're kind of like, what is this? And why do we keep coming back to this? And I don't really understand what's going on here. And it does... It end up tying into things, but but that I, I I find a little bit less effective on screen than it was mm. on stage. For mm. a kids' film, like it makes it quite structurally discombobulating. Yeah. Like you're just like I don't really know what's happening, but you do go with as you say, like it pays off. It does pay mm. off, and and it and it is beautifully realised. But yeah, I did find it a little bit distracting at times on screen in a way that I didn't uh, maybe originally. So so I just find that like there were structural problems with it that I maybe would have like them to somehow find a different way into. Yeah. Yeah. But equally, you know, it's a very successful show, so I, I get why they were a little bit, you know, faithful. You're a mm. musical theatre hound. Like, how, how do you think it holds up in terms of, like, the songs? Because I didn't mm. feel like many of them were, like, stone-cold bangers. I, I did find, like, I think what's great about some of the songs when you hear it on stage is they're very, very clever lyrics and they're very clever... The, like the county, the, the alphabet one. The alphabet yeah. one yeah, that's, is that's, really that's clever, good. super, super clever. But also the My Mummy Says, I'm a Miracle, is <laughs> super good. But but it, because it's the very first thing in this film, yeah. you're still kind of getting your ear in. Yeah, I had that as well. And you're not picking up, I think, on, on yeah. the first song in particular on all the mm. lyrics and all the cleverness. I like, wonder whether, because like when you're in theatre, you are geared up for that, isn't it? Like You yeah. know what's coming. You're, you're in a theatre headspace. Like I, it took me a good 25 minutes to get into the right rhythm for this because mm. I was just like, I, the, my overwhelming thought early on is like, this is fucking stupid because I just couldn't I couldn't because it's so heightened and so musical theatre and so over the top and so <laughs> silly that I thought I, I just thought I'm not going to get on with this film at all but after a while once you do get into the, you actually do you know what this is actually really fun and I actually enjoyed the story and I'd forgotten because I read all the Roald Dahl stuff when I was a kid I'd forgotten how utterly twisted and incredibly dark his stories are because it is really really messed up this story is. oh yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's just like oh let's bring child abuse into humorous territory. <laughs> and they've actually kind of softened it, if anything, because Chokey is yeah. sort of yeah. less horrifying than it is. I mean, there are spikes in it. It's yeah. pretty yeah. horrifying. Yeah, it's it, it's a lot. But yeah, I, I you know, I was smiling and tapping my foot by the end. I, 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 I kind of had issues with the editing and the pacing of it. Like, uh, Helen touched on it briefly mm. about... You know, structurally, I think it does have like very bad structural problems. I'm going to be very honest about that. And I think when you th- compare it to sort of like, you know, musicals like I don't know, like Hamilton, when the, the Disney Plus um, film film of it, or even in the Heights, or even like Spielberg's West Side Story. Lame is the greatest oh. musical of all time. But yes, carry on. You're anyway. tied to your opinion, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like with like the camera direction and it 
brings the audience into those those moments. So you feel like you're joining into the spectacle. And I felt like there was a kind of a distance with Matilda the, the musical. Like you couldn't really join in because every single moment of that screen time was literally we're going to cut 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 yeah. so like something yeah. like the school song which i you know i'm listening to the lyrics and i'm like this is amazing i can't get quite involved in it because it's every single minute it's just cutting to the next scene and it doesn't feel like it's settling into the rhythm mm. so for me like you james i it took a while for me yeah. to kind of to get into it and then i think probably the most profound moment is when you get lashawn lynch and that's when she sings her song I cried. Beautiful voice. Yes. Very, Beautiful yeah. voice. absolutely. I cried. And I said, okay, now I can feel mm. the heart and emotion of the film. I mean, it's not the Leon prequel that I would have chosen, if I'm honest with you, but uh, but I enjoyed it. And there are women and there are kids. There they are. Have, they yeah. haven't taken yeah. Leon's advice either. <laughs> Shocking state of affairs. We give this one three stars. Three stars then for Roald Dahl's Matilda the Musical. Next up is a film that is in cinemas for one week only and it's already been in cinemas for two days. By the time you listen to this, you better get a move on if you want Netflix to put more of their Netflix originals into cinemas instead of on your sofa plex. And it is, of course, the eagerly awaited return of Benoit Blanc. You didn't say it in the voice. Benoit Blanc. I suspect. I suspect. Foul Foul play. play. (laughs) And uh, he's back, back, back in Glass Onion. Um, I think we could dispense with the A Knives Out mystery part of the title now. Let's just call it Glass Onion. Ryan Johnson's return as writer and director uh, and bringing Benoit Blanc, the master detective, to a Greek island where he investigates, uh, frankly, a bunch of dickheads. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Kalechi, what's happening in this movie? Tell me everything, including the ending. In fact, start with the ending. <laughs> I'm going to be very deliberately vague because I think yes. the best thing to do, to watch this film is literally... Don't actually, actually, don't, don't listen to me. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't listen to me. Stop don't the podcast. Yeah, just like just stop the podcast. Just don't, don't listen to me. The less information you know, the mm. better the experience. Um, I feel I've said too much. I feel already. like I feel like I've said too much. But Ryan Johnson back again doing. Stop uh, talking. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Johnson doing again another murder mystery classic. Um, has an, another ensemble cast with the likes of uh, Janelle Monae, Edward Norton, Kate, Kate Hudson. Mm-hmm. That's the name of few. Dave uh, Batista. Oh my word. Catherine Hart. Catherine Hart. Catherine Hart. God. God. There's the Odom Jr. It's the ensemble. An I, embarrassment of riches. It's an absolute brilliance. It's set in basically COVID time, if I, can, if I give any kind of details. And basically it's about, again, rich people doing the most obscene rich things. It's a commentary on Eat the Rich. And Ben Wanblock is here to investigate a suspected murder. And I'm probably going to say that's about it. That's enough. Because mm-hmm. everything that's in this film, there is absolute joys that you're going to get cameos, you're going to get surprises. So many cameos. And that's all I'm going to say. Yeah. And that's it. And that that's was it. That's it. Yeah, We it. gave it four stars. It's, it's, yeah. Okay, well, one, one thing I think we should also say is I always felt in the first film there was not enough Blanc. Like, we didn't know mm. enough about Benoit Blanc. And I think this, he feels like a living, breathing human in a way that he did. Like, don't get me wrong, I love the first film to bits and I think mm-hmm. he fits into it perfectly. But I think in this, he takes centre stage in a way that maybe he didn't in the first one. Yeah. Uh, and I enjoyed this enormously. It's just, it's quite, it's just, I mean, it's joyous, isn't it? It's a delightful thing from end to end. There's so many great lines in this film. Yeah. Like, it, there's, like, I've just already said it. One of the lines is literally what is reality. But when you see it in the context, you will <laughs> laugh your head off. <laughs> Absolutely. It's like the best line of the year. 
I'm, I'm putting a stake and a claim on that. Um, there's some really great performances. And for me, actually, I I prefer I preferred this over the first one. Did you? That's I thought, interesting. It, I didn't. I, I, I Yeah, I'm torn because I, yeah. I think it's sillier than the first one. Yeah, it is. It's probably funnier than the first one at times. Um, I don't know about preferring. It's maybe not yeah. quite is as it, clever it, as the first yeah. one. But at the same time, I... <laughs> being very very deliberately vague but yeah. I feel like at sometimes that if you pay enough enough attention both films are kind of like well you can guess who the main sure. the main culprit sure. is I felt like in terms of how it's very much modern and how yes Ryan Johnson gets to flex that Netflix budget but I think the humor and the jokes I think is very very on point with what is happening right now there is a real eat the rich thread running through cinema at the moment which I'm all in favor of but between <laughs> yes. this and triangle of sadness and menu um, you know just don't get on a boat with a rich person just do not get on a boat with a rich person and uh, and that's just good advice for life I think yeah. but um, but yeah it's I, I really enjoyed that aspect of it I I like the amount of Benoit Blanc we get here, and I think I think you're right. We get more of him. We get more of his personal life a little bit. We get more of his outlook on things, and I liked how much we got. But at the same time, I, I love the fact that Ryan Johnson has resisted that Branagh-ish urge to <laughs> give your detective too much backstory, too much mm. of an arc. Uh. Because actually, I think what sets a whodunit apart from a sort of procedural is often the fact that the detective is a fixed point. Like, they don't actually change as a person fundamentally mm -hmm. through the story. They are the kind of instrument of change for mm -hmm. others. And I think that this understands that very well and it, and it kind of uses that to, to move everybody along and move the, move the story along. You know, it's not to say that they're not affected by what happens, but they do not themselves have a story arc in the he, traditional sense. Yeah. He will but, tell you that he doesn't consider Benoit Blanc to be the protagonist of correct, either film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's. I think very, that's very, very true here as yeah. well. Yeah, that is very true. But, but I, I love the production design on this. Oh, like, if it's, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. Like, I want all of Janelle Monae's dresses. <laughs> <laughs> Every, that queen came to serve. That's all like, I have to say. <laughs> I want the the rainbow one that um, that Kate Hudson. Yes. Has. I have that yes. actually. I do you have do, that. Yeah. I do. You do look lovely okay. in that. Yeah, just yeah. Set off your eyes. Thank yeah. you. I'll wear it to the next live podcast. <laughs> please do, please do. Can which, someone, by the way, can, can someone take a picture and just send that to <laughs> <Yeah>. me? <laughs> uh, which, by the way, we we are we are going to announce one very very soon. Uh, episode five hundred and fifty is coming up. We're not going to do an all day extravaganza like we did for five hundred again. It nearly killed me. Um, but we are going to do a, a a live show at King's Place London. It is going to be next year. It's going to be around February sometime, and tickets will be going to sell hopefully this side of Christmas. So you can <laughs> you can treat your enemies to, to, to tickets to a live Empire podcast. What the fuck is this? Why did you get me two tickets for a live podcast? For Why Christmas? is James wearing a rainbow dress? It's all going to yeah. be good. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I agree with everything that everyone has said. I even listened to half of it. And <laughs> this is a really, really tricky film to talk about. And yeah. so we're going to save that for our spoiler special, which is going to be very, very exciting. Uh, the Ryan Johnson interviews already in the bag. So it's out on Netflix towards when's it 23rd, 23rd of December 23rd of December so our sport special may not actually hit until early January but um, yeah I'm looking forward to getting into this mm. film because there, there are some fairly interesting decisions that are made stylistically and structurally that are very very ripe for picking mm. we gave us one four stars I, I think I'm, I'm maybe in the five star camp in this one I thought it was really really terrific and yeah, maybe I haven't seen it twice it may be better mm. than the first one for me. I'm really yeah. excited to see it again. Yeah. yeah. See it with a crowd. Please see it with a yeah. crowd. I want to see it with a crowd. Yeah. One week only. One week only. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, four stars in for Glass Onion. 
what's next? What else should we talk about? Should we talk about She Said? Yeah. Let's yeah. talk about She Said. Yeah, so this is the adaptation of the book by Megan Toohey and Jodie Cantor, who were the, the journalists at the New York Times who broke the, the Harvey Weinstein story. And it is basically about them trying to pull that story together. It gives you a little bit of context to what they were doing when they were first sort of put on the case, if you will. Both young mothers, or in one case about to be a mother, both working the sort of feminist beat, if you like, at the New York Times and and Mm -hmm. dealing with a lot of this kind of story. And then gradually realizing that this was on an unprecedented scale uh, to anything they'd encountered before and that it could have huge knock-on effects. So this is really a procedural. This is a story about two women in sensible shoes going around, knocking on doors, making phone calls, and mostly being ignored and told no, or being told what happened, but but being told, I won't go on record as saying that because it will ruin my life, which in many cases, of course, it has ruined people's lives and has made pe- people's lives enormously difficult. So it's trying to get to a point of yes, they have a couple of the women involved actually playing themselves. For the most part, they have, you know, actors stepping in, people like Jennifer Ely uh, stepping in. But it is it is very, very grounded in what actually happened. It is very, very close to the book that they produced um, about their series of articles afterwards. And if anything, that is my major note with this. So um, the director, Maria Schrader, has obviously chosen to, to stick very close to that material. You know, so you have Carrie Mulligan, you have Zoe Kazan, great, great actors going around making these calls. You have the people back in the office played by Patricia Clarkson and Andre Brower, who are, you know, again, an embarrassment of riches. But ultimately, it's very, very focused on just trying to break the story. And that kind of worked for something like Spotlight because it was a story that was so, at the time, seen as outlandish and impossible and just no one understood that it could possibly be anywhere near this scale. Whereas with She Said, a moment's thought would have revealed that it was absolutely possible that it was on that scale because everyone was telling them it was on this scale from from very early on and it was just a matter of getting enough sources and enough evidence to prove it. So there isn't the same kind of wow factor for the characters involved. They're not being shocked all the time by what's happening and what's, what's coming up. They're being appalled, certainly, but not shocked. Therefore, I would have liked this to go a bit further. I would have liked this to go past the publication date and um, because I don't think it's a spoiler set, pretty much finishes there. And I think it would have been interesting to actually get into how this started rolling and how this this took on a momentum that no one had ever seen before. Because I don't think it, it quite gets that shock across. I don't mm. think it gets across the way this changed attitudes like nothing in the past on a similar subject had ever managed, had ever mm. achieved. That, for me, was the kind of missing piece of this that would have would have pushed it over the top. But look, great performances across the board. And I think if you don't know much about this story, you should absolutely go and, and seek it out and try and watch it. Mm-hmm. But if you have, like me, been basically writing books about this shit ever since, <laughs> you know, it will it will not maybe have quite as many uh, quite as many um, revelations as you might like. Women vs. Hollywood it, is available at all good booksellers. Thank you. I think it contextualizes at least the the, the Me Too movement mm-hmm. and, and and see it on a on a on a scale that brings it into, or was it like a two-hour-plus type of type of movie? Um, as Helen said, it's a very important movie. I sort of slightly disagree in, in the sense where I felt like they actually sort of, they did try to balance out the personal life as well as their you know process of of the journey of how they got to the place where it is. And yes, it might not necessarily be a stark revelation because, in the sense, it's still an ongoing situation um, and it's still stuff that. Many women are still dealing with, still mm. dealing with the, um, the trauma and so forth, still dealing with the 
allegations and it's still outpouring. If there's anything that I think she says is very successful has done is dispel any kind of skepticism. Because when I first heard about the project, it's not talking about the substance, so to speak, but I didn't want it to feel like it's like, oh, it's a Hollywood patting yourself on the back. Yeah, mm. John Oliver no, type of like, yeah, good, like we got him, guys, that type yeah. of thing. And I kind of dug how they created a sort of safe space to tell those stories. Like, as Helen mentioned, um, you get um, the real life actresses being part of the investigation process. You also get to hear the actual recordings and you don't get, you don't see the violence. You don't see the truth. That's like, like, that's almost like we're not triggering the audience. So you're hearing the evidence and that process and that, and it's repulsive. It's disgusting. Mm-hmm. And it's very much like Spotlight. It's very much about the system, the culture of silence. It's, it's like Harvey Weinstein's mentioned, he's there, but he's not the centralized figure. Like you don't, he doesn't get any space or agency whatsoever. It is about the journalist breaking that story and it's the courage of those women to break that story okay so we gave this one four stars four stars then for she said next up we we heard earlier on from luca guadagnino about his new movie bones and all and let's talk about bones and all kelechi it's based on the book by camille de angelis it's very much a coming of age um, road trip um, starring taylor russell and timothy chalamet and the film is about connection and finding two two lost souls finding each other across 80s America. So it begins with um, Taylor Russell's Marin, and she is a cannibalist. The film kind of goes from zero to 100 in terms of the graphic and the, and the, and the gore, mm. but it is very much what Luca does is very much contextualizes that um, scenario and tries to find the empathy and the soul behind it. So you have a character who is abandoned by her father because he cannot take the pressures of looking after uh, looking after her and also giving her tapes uh, that will give context to his and their, her relationship with her mother who is absent out of her life and it's basically for Marin to go out into that world find herself find the truth about her mother and basically see if she is predetermined by her nature. genetic her nature basically and then along the way she meets another character called Lee played by Timothy Chalamet and they strike up a bond and connection as with films about of this nature, you would have think that okay, it's a glorification of of cannibalism, and it, yes, it is. If you if you do if you have like a, a, a queasy stomach, probably you know take this in, take this in time. Gobble the, gobble. Yeah, go on. <laughs> <laughs> please. I don't want that in my head anymore. <laughs> but uh, but I think there's what Luca does is basically find the heart and soul between these characters, and you get not only outstanding performances from Taylor Russell and Timothy Chalamet. It is Taylor Russell's film, but you also get probably the one of the most creepiest performances mm. from Mark Rylance. Like, I cannot see him in any other way now. Like, <laughs> I, he, the man's damaged me. I had weird issues with this one. I agree with with a lot of that. I think it's brilliantly performed. I think it's beautifully shot. Uh-huh. Um, I think that the sense of time and place is is really good. I think Andre Holland is, is great as her father and, and gives it so much um, soul and, and personality in, you know, a relatively few number of scenes. And she is astonishing as a breakout star. I mean, she's she's absolutely uh, magnetic. My issues were more, I, I just didn't really know what it all amounted to. I think there's there's lots of, you know, you can you can draw lots of parallels and, and, and sort of see this as a, 
as a metaphor for just simply coming of age. You can mm. see it as a metaphor for maybe a queer story. You could see it as, you know, just a struggle for existence in the world. I get all of that. But honestly, what I was thinking through most of it was, it, this feels like Interview with the Vampire with pretensions. And, you know, and I love Interview with the Vampire, don't get me mm-hmm. wrong. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they are they are a sort of, if they are presented as a sort of a race almost, a part that they are driven to cannibalism. It is a part of their makeup. It is something that is necessary to them in the way that, you know, a vampire feeding is. So this is, it's it's a strange thing. It's not some kind of cultural thing that they've fallen into. It's not like they're psychopaths mm. out, uh, you know, in, in a sort of horror movie fashion that we would normally understand. It is it is innate. And there's, a, I guess, a, th- a thread about sins of the father, sins of the mother being passed down. But again, it didn't feel like that was developed to me. So I, I find it frustrating, I felt like, because it didn't quite hang together for me personally. And I, I am out on a limb on this. I think everybody else has been much more warm towards it than I have. Mm-hmm. But I was just a little bit like, I, I didn't quite get what it all amounted to. But like, no disrespect to anybody involved, because I thought, like I say, the performances were great. The way it was shot was great. It looked amazing. I just, yeah, maybe I just didn't didn't get it somehow. All right. Timmy Two Meets by name. Timmy Two Meets by oh, nature. Boy. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, we gave us one four stars. Uh, real quick, because we all got to go. Helen, what are you going to see? You're going to see Best of Enemies? I am going to see Best of Enemies at the theater, darling. David, uh, who's in it? David Harewood and, and David Zachary Harewood. Quinter. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes, yes. So that's very, very exciting. So Helen's got to run off to that. Uh, real, real quick. We should mention that uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio is out in cinemas this week, but we'll be hitting Netflix in about two weeks' time. That's when we'll review that film. But uh, thumbs up all around. Super thumbs up. Brilliant. So many thumbs yeah. up. Yeah. Wooden thumbs. Wooden, Wooden thumbs. thumbs. Yeah. One of the best thumbs of the year. The yeah. thumb is growing with every claim. Ooh, it's a thumb that grows here and not the nose. Uh, so we like that one. And there's another animated film called Strange World, Helen. Yeah, this is uh, the new film from Disney and it is very good. It's Disney doing sci-fi and I feel like the last Disney animation to do sci-fi proper was, what, Titan AE or something? <laughs> um, it's been a while, but I really like this and, and I was surprised. I didn't think it was going to be as good as it is. So you have Jake Gyllenhaal voicing Searcher Clade, who is the son of a Sold. famed explorer. Um, but he didn't want to follow his old man into the exploring game. Oh, no. Um, and he's become a farmer instead and has discovered this particular plant that now basically powers his civilization. And all is going well until the plant starts dying and he has to head off in, in search of a cure for this plant, which, wouldn't you know it, ends up bringing him back into contact with the old man who's voiced by Dennis Quaid. Searcher himself is a father. He's the he's the father of Jabuki Young White. So you have this kind of generational story about three men trying to figure out their place in the world, trying to fight, figure out their place in relation to each other, trying to give each other the space to kind of grow into the person that they're meant to be. And I, I, th- I find all of that actually very moving. There's some very cute, very interesting animal sidekicks, unlike ones we've seen before. There is a setting that is genuinely strange and I think works pretty well. I've got some reservations on how it works, but uh, that would be a spoiler to get into them. But it works pretty, pretty well. And yeah, I, I thought this was enormous fun. Uh, also voice roles for Gabrielle Union, Lucy Liu. Yeah, I was I was pleasantly surprised. My my expectations for this were, were I'll be honest, like floor level. And, and it's a very, very good Disney animation. It's a lovely film. So yeah, uh, we gave this four stars. Four stars, then. And I would Strange heartily World. co-sign that. Fantastic. Uh, sounds good. Um, uh, very, very quickly. I, I, I feel, I feel like even discussing this feels <laughs> wrong because it's a TV show. Well, not, no, it's, no, it's special. Not, it's, it's special. I know. It's we, clearly not a TV yes, show. Yes, we have had this on pilot. It's a one-off TV special event. 
Yes. And it, no. is. It, it is. It is. It is the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, which yes. debuted this week on uh, Disney Plus. And it feels like we're being asked to look at James Gunn's home video. And it just doesn't, you know, and it's fun and, you know, made me laugh a few times. And it's got a couple of Christmas songs and, mm. you know, but it's not a Guardians movie. And it, it felt a little bit churlish to be reviewing it as such. Uh, it's like Guardians 2.5 or 2.6 if you count Thor Love and Thunder as a mm-hmm. 0.5. Uh, it's, it's, so, so this is a strange one. It's, like, it's, it's kind of an ode to the Star Wars holiday special. And the idea is that, that Star-Lord, good old Peter, is a little bit depressed. Gamora died and then kicked him in the bollocks in that order. And, uh, and he's not happy. He's not a happy lad. And it's Christmas time and that's a very sad time of the year for him as well. So Drax and Mantis, good friends that they are, decide to... Restore the spirit of Christmas by getting the best present of all, Mr. Kevin Bacon. And hijinks ensue. And it is, it's a very hijinksy type thing. It's like it's what, 42 minutes, something like it's it's a it's a flash in the pan, quick thing. It's it does the one thing really well, which is that Mantis and Drax have, I think, since the second one, been among the most enjoyable things. Like the Guardians are my favorite Marvel team, and those two are among my favorite characters. Uh, and there's a lot of them in it. For me, it didn't have the same bite that guns writing often has and i know it's very festive and i know it's like you know it's not supposed to be it's all supposed to be like warming the cockles and whatnot but as you know i have no heart so all of that was lost on me and i felt a little bit shortchanged by how sort of almost gossamer it was so insubstantial that i just felt a little bit shortchanged by it but you know but it's not just those two all the guardians are in it groot has an upsetting new form uh rockets Mm. in it everyone's there groot threw me a little bit because all the way through i was like is that a guy in a Groot suit. Like, I thought the same. But it isn't. It's actually a CG character, but it looks like a guy in a Groot suit. I feel like they mm. had a guy in a Groot suit and then CG'd over the top. Maybe. Like, it had a Hollywood <laughs> Boulevard vibe to it that I didn't quite settle with. But it is quite sweet. There are musical numbers in it which may or may not have been ill-advised. There are animated sequences in it which I did not enjoy. Mm. But I get what he was going for with this. I'm just not entirely sure that he got there. I had a giggle. I mean, yeah, it is, yeah. it is absolutely. I don't hate the Guardians. I don't hate the Guardians. I just love Steve more. Is that a crime? No, it's not. Anywho. The only, I, thing, the only person in the MCU who hates the Guardians more is uh, Elizabeth Debicki's character, whose name is... Goldface. Goldface, yes. Goldface. She loves only gold. Gold member? <laughs> she may well do. How about no, you crazy Dutch bastard? Oh, I love that film so much. Anyway, yeah, anyway, it's, but it's, I don't hate them, but like yeah. I, I really I enjoyed the chance to spend more time just kicking about with with Drax and Mantis. I I wish they had maybe just sharpened the script up a little yeah. bit with them because yeah, I think 100%. they are so funny. They could have been funnier than they are mm. here. Um, I think their performances outstrip the material. In yes, that yes, exactly. She, her in particular, and I love Bautista, but she. Yeah, she's super good. Really nice. She's it. super, super good. But, but yeah, they, they just like, it could have been just a bit sharper. It felt like maybe they were just playing around on set at times. Mm. And actually, no, you should have written yeah. something and then rewritten it and rewritten it until it's super good. Times like that, I was a bit like, mm. but um, but generally, I, ha- I, had f- I had fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah, Hooray. yeah. I think a lot of people have been waiting to pounce on this one and mm. give it a bit of a kicking. It's had it's, pretty it's, good it's, reviews has across it? the board, okay. yeah. I gave it three. Mm. I honestly, I, I didn't really know what to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I review, I, first of all, I was I was reviewing something for the first time in two years. I was furious about that. Um, so I think you can read, there's a subtext that... Uh, Don't ever make me review anything. Just, yeah. just yeah. fucking furious about the whole thing. 
But uh, I think the listen is so frothy and so fun. I think even Scorsese and Tarantino would like it. And that's all I'm going to say about wow. that discourse this week. That's all I'm going to say about that. Christ Almighty, can we get a new discourse, please? But here's here's I think how insubstantial the Guardians holiday special is for me. Not once have we discussed getting together and doing a spoiler special on it. Not once. Oh, I just thought we were going to do it. I thought it was a really yeah. It, it just doesn't feel like I mean, what, what could you do? spoil? Yeah. There's no story. There's one. Yeah, there is literally things. one plot point. As, as yeah. someone has not seen it yet, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, we won't tell you. Don't, Don't tell me. Don't tell All me. Right. But it's well, you know, yeah. Benoit Blanc turned up. It was unexpected. It was unexpected. Oh, it was unexpected. Oh my God. Anyway. There was foul play all over the place. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh, anyway, on, well. <laughs> on that note, uh, three stars down for the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. And who knows if people ask, because we can't find time to do things like Black Panther at the moment. Like, how, can we, how can we find time to do Guardians? Um, we're going to try and do Guardians, I guess, at some point. But yeah, anyway, on that note, that is it for this week's Empire podcast. Uh, shambolic end to, frankly, shambolic podcast. Uh, let's start a shambolically. A Kalechi, I'm blaming you. This is entirely your fault. Wow. Yeah, that's wow. right. This Came in here. Wow. Just like, unbelievable. Like William oh H. Macy in the cooler. You, yeah. have, you have reduced me to a... A shambling, bumbling fool. Like on that, that note, guys, I'm out. <laughs> it's been an absolute <laughs> pleasure having you. You're welcome back anytime. <laughs> Join us next week for more film-related fun where we'll be joined by, at least just the ones I've remembered, uh, Greta Gerwig. Greta Ooh, Gerwig, is the star of uh, White Noise, directed to chorus by Noah Baumbach. And we're also going to be joined by Frank Grillo. Frank Grillo, star of Lamborghini, the man behind the legend. And if you can imagine what a Frank Grillo interview it was like, <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much what you're going to get. Uh, I had a ton of time talking to that man. Anyway. Ton just, ton? Ton a ton of ton? A ton of ton. See, this is Kalechi's fault. What? A ton of ton. I can't even, even, even near you. I can't yeah. speak English anymore. I had a ton of fun talking to Frank Aguilo about Lamborghini. Anyway. <laughs> and presumably Mario. <laughs> yeah. Well, gotta go, what, gotta what go. House of Gucci's going on in your yeah. place? I don't know. Who knows? Anyway, on that note, thank you to my three colleagues of such lethal cunning. Kalechi Ihenulo, thank you for coming. Thank you, man. Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. James Dyer. Goodbye. Join us on the Pilot TV podcast on Monday no, where no, Gary Oldman and no, Saskia Reeves will be there to talk no. slow horses, which is bad for the second time this year. It's very, very exciting. Oh, God. Second time this year, has it? Yeah, been Slow Horses season two and the Slow Horses season one dropped they in April. It by the time season one came out. That's season right. one ended yeah. with a trailer for season two. It anyway, did. thank you so much for listening. I'm off to get some food. It is food time. Gobble, gobble. Goodbye. <laughs> and it's goodbye for me? I said goodbye to you already. You, you already did a toodaloo. Yeah. You've forgotten your toodaloo. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is Kalechi again. No, it's Kalechi again. Oh my Kalechi, God. The cooler. <laughs> that's it. That's it. The no. cooler of film that features William H. Macy's Cock and <laughs> It does. <laughs> Gobble, gobble. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye.